impromptu chat number 10 coming to you live from Brisbane, Australia on the 24th of January 2017. I'm your host, John LeBond, and it is good to be back behind a microphone. It's been a little bit of time, actually, since my last live broadcast, so I'm very glad that my old buddy Gino, also known as Eccentric Fuse, has basically put the ball in my court and uh, made me think it is time to have a chat because some big news recently in Australia, a massive news event, apparently some crazy guy went on a rampage and killed a whole bunch of innocent people. It's been front page news for the past few days. And apparently my old mate Gino, he was skeptical at first, but now he thinks it might've been a real event. Now, many of you guys know me, I really don't care about these uh, these baby hoaxes anymore, or these uh, you know made for TV events as I suspect they can be. But even if it is real, I don't care either because there's nothing I can do about it. So I don't really pay much attention to these events anymore, but I know that lots of you people do and uh, certainly Eccentric Fuse, he does. So we'll be talking about that event and more tonight. Also on the agenda, I'll be giving a little update on the dinosaur documentary. It's been revived. In fact, I'm going on a second little trip out into the heart of Queensland to document some dinosaur discoveries there, some big news about that. Then I also wanna talk a little bit about some research I've been doing recently into crowd psychology and my main man, Gustave Le Bon. I've got some quotes I wanna share with you tonight. And then if we get time, also some research I've been doing into 9-11. Yes, it has been 15 years or so. And yes, you think you've heard it all, but I don't think you have. I've made a few little discoveries lately that I think you might be interested in. So we're covering all of that tonight and more. But before we do, we better introduce the special guest for tonight's show. That is, of course, Eccentric Views. Gino down there in Melbourne. Gino, am I coming through clearly? And how are you this evening? G'day, John. Good. How are you going? I'm very well, thanks, mate. And uh, yeah, I was just sitting there doing some research in front of my computer tonight down at the local food place, which is where I go to uh, do my research of an evening and get out of the house. And I got a phone call from you, Gino. And one of the first things you asked me was, what do you think about this Melbourne event? And I said to you, look, mate, I don't really think anything about it. I don't really care. You seemed a little bit surprised by that, but I was even more surprised by your insights into the topic. So without further ado, mate, why don't we just jump straight into the meat of this episode. Tell us what you think about this Melbourne event. Uh, well, I, I disagree with you a little bit on there. I think, I, I do think it's a bit more important an event like this than than, uh, than what you think it is. Um, yeah, it's definitely pretty important because um, it's very close to home and you know it can result in changes of uh, laws or legislation or whatever um, that affect us and I'm pretty convinced that uh, that these people were really injured and uh, most likely you know five people dead so that could have been uh, just ourselves it could have been people that we knew down there I know I know people that work in the city so that's why for me I, I think it's very important uh, to look into as opposed to other other topics and um, yeah, so on Friday I found out about it. What everyone was talking about, they went bananas. Um, and then I was really, I had a really busy night on Friday night, so I didn't really care about it until I, uh, about ten thirty ish, I decided to relax and watch some videos on my iPad. And then I watched the um, that footage of the guy doing um, donuts at uh, the intersection at Flinders Street Station. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but uh, we. We can, we can, we can perhaps uh, screen share, or if you can bring up the, the footage, we'll have a look at it. But there was a, a guy in a blue top that had me uh, perplexed. He appeared to be um, 
sort of the, uh, communicating to the driver. Um, I can't, whatever his name is, Dimitri Gagalis. And look looked like he, they were sort of like, uh, like the, the guy in the blue top looked like he was sort of directing him uh, to go up Swanson Street. And he looked like he was sort of like directing the cops as well. But I guess I, I might have had my hoax goggles on and just was trying to look into something that wasn't there. I later realised that perhaps he was just some crazy, you know, just some guy on the street and he was probably just getting excited about the whole thing and they probably just said, go up there, go up there, and, and then Gagalis went, yeah, I'm going to go up there. And so they just he just drove up there and then the cops slowly sort of uh, followed him up there. Um, the girl uh, that was filming it in the car and the, the, at the traffic lights, um, apparently uh, a couple hours later was on the project. Um, which I found strange. I even um, chatted to her on Facebook. Apparently she knew someone um, that works at the project that got her on there. And that was another reason why I thought it was kind of strange. But I suppose some of that can, can happen. You know, there's, there's bound to be people, there's, you know, thousands of people recording it. There's bound to be someone that knows someone from the media that would get them on. So that's not that much of a coincidence. Oh no, John, if you want to, did you want to pull up, see if we can pull up that footage of the, of this blue, uh, the guy in the blue top? Because this, this, even to this day, I'm still a little bit, finding it a bit strange. Well, what I ought to have done was just give an overview because people might listen to this in the future or there might be international listeners who aren't familiar with the event. But basically what happened a few days ago is that supposedly in the heart of Melbourne, some guy for some reason drove his car onto the footpath and killed a bunch of people or something like this, right? And it's been front page news and major news in the, you know, 6 p.m. news kind of thing for the past few days, right? And so what has happened is in the YouTube world of the so-called truth movement, apparently many people, many of the same regular characters are covering this event, saying that it's a hoax, just like they do with every event. And uh, I just don't really have much time for that kind of nonsense anymore. Whether it's real or fake, I just don't really care. But what did strike me, Eccentric, was that you were saying that you uh, you actually think this event was real, we don't really need to look so much at the footage at first because that wasn't what got you to believe that this was real. You're saying that you know people who know people and that's enough for you to suspect that the event is real. Am I, am I hearing you properly here? Uh, no, it wasn't just that. There's a whole bunch of things. But, yeah, the, 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 the main reason, I suppose, yeah, is because I know, I know a couple of people that, that knew the guy and, known him, and people that knew him for years and the guy was a complete nutcase. He was on drugs and he was incredibly uh, unintelligent as well, that sort of stuff. There's no way uh, that he could have, like, gone it, like, cooperated with the police to pull off something like this. Um, unless you're going into those theories where, you know, the, the um, like, they say the CIA do that. I could have done one of those things on him. I don't know, but that's getting a bit far-fetched. But, yeah, and just, and, and, I, and I know someone also that knows victims that were in hospital and... Um, I know I knew people that were at work that day and saw it all, and it's just it's just too far fetched for it to be staged or a, a psyop or a hoax. Any of those, it's just too it's more it's more likely that the guy was just out of his mind, and and the cops had limited uh, ability to, to to act because of the rules they have to abide by. So they just sort of monitored him and watched him until it was too late. Because that that was another reason why I thought it had to be you know controlled and a psyop because. Why didn't they stop him? Um, and it made sense to me later on. Well, they couldn't really because if, what, what could they do? They could shoot his tyres, they can smash into him, but then, you know, they, they could run the risk of, like, harming others and then they'll get the blame for it. So it's better to just sort of watch him and then... So that, that's, yeah. 
So a whole, a whole bunch of things, John. It's not just that. See, what I usually find, or at least when I used to care about these sorts of things, what I would find is that the best place to start looking was the Daily Mail because they always had lots of images. Basically, as soon as an event happened, they had lots of images ready to go. So what I've been doing is while you've uh, been giving us that little background, I've been uh, going through seeing if I can bring up a Daily Mail article. But uh, all I've got is a video here. I'll see if I can screen share the video. But I, I haven't seen the video. I don't know if it's any good. But we'll, we'll give it a go. We'll see what happens. It's been a while since I've used screen share. So just bear with me here. See if we can get this one working. Uh, we've got about 15 or 20 people listening live. I will be reading out your comments if they're good comments. Uh, so please, if you've got your feedback to give, uh, do that right now. Let's just see if we can get this uh, video going. Is that one coming through to you now, Gina? Should be. And uh, the, the audio won't come through. For some reason, when I screen share videos, the audio doesn't come through. So uh, just, just bear with this, guys. I'll describe it myself. So we've got the guy doing his donuts. This is, oh, the Daily Mail, they make it so hard to use their stuff. All right. So it says, the footage was taken moments before a man deliberately drove onto a street crowded with pedestrians. He's driving the old, uh, the old Commodore. They don't show the actual plowing into the people. They show someone on the ground. They, they show, I don't know, three or four people surrounding the person on the ground. Uh, they say they don't believe the event is linked to extremism. I mean, this video is pretty much useless, Jenna. Just a guy doing donuts. Who cares? So, sorry, John. I had it on mute. Uh, I'm just going to send you a link uh, to something. Um, so that that's one um, that we can just have a look at and just show the... Um, all right, so this is a YouTube video, is it? It's it's the it was it was uploaded to this chick. Her name's Misha. It was her footage. She put it on her Facebook, and then later on went on to the project because uh, she knew a friend that works at the project because she had that footage and she was so close to it. Uh, and this other guy has uploaded onto his YouTube channel, um, which is what it, the link is I gave you. Um, but anyway, so you're saying that, sorry, mate. So you're saying that you know Misha? Is that what you're saying? No, I don't. I don't know Misha, but I I I, um, I contacted her on Facebook and put a comment on her post, and she responded to me. And um, and yeah. But in any case, um, about is halfway this, through right, it, is this is this coming through to you? Is this? Yeah, I can see. It. About halfway through it, you can see this guy in a blue top, which appeared to be orchestrating the whole thing, and that's what that's what really got me thinking that there's something weird about it. But then, I've, so, I, you just, know, wait, it could just be. Hold on a second. I just want to give some context to the international listeners here. Obviously, you're in Melbourne. I grew up in Melbourne. That there is Flinders Street Station, which in many ways is kind of the middle of Melbourne, not necessarily um, geographically, but in terms of the way the city is organized and people get around Melbourne, that is in a way kind of the middle of, of Melbourne. And actually, I met Adam Bravo, who's in the live chat right now. When I first caught up with him, because he'd been listening to the ARP, when we first organized to catch up, we caught up at the front of Flinders Street Station. And while I was waiting for Adam, because I got there before he did, there was the Herald Sun reporters, one of the two newspapers in Melbourne. They do this thing called a Vox Pop where they go and ask random people on the street their opinions on a certain topic. And then it appears in, I don't know, page 15 or 20 of the, of the newspaper the next day. Well, I saw them there and I was like, man, I want to get in the newspaper. So I walked over and said, you guys from the Herald Sun, which I suspected they were. They're like, yep. I'm like, what's the question today? And they told me. So I gave them my opinion. Anyway, I forgot all about it because I was down in Melbourne at the time for a uh, for a wedding. And so my mind, like, I did the Vox Pop, but I completely forgot about it. Anyway, like a week later or something like this, someone sends me a link and says, have you seen this? 
someone in Melbourne had seen me in the Vox Pop, and I used the name John LeBon in the Herald Sun as well. So I got the name John LeBon into the Herald Sun, which I thought was pretty funny. And <laughs> this person had made a video going, ah, oh, look at this, John LeBon. He's turned up in the Herald Sun. What are the odds of getting in the fucking newspaper, right? Trying to suggest that, because this is back when everyone was accusing me of being a paid shill and working for the governor, that nonsense. He was trying to use the fact that I turned up in the Vox Pop as evidence that I was uh, working for the government, right? That I was a, I was sent to infiltrate the truth movement and to, I, I can't remember what, what his argument was, but that was his evidence that I turned up in the Vox Pop. And for those who remember all of that at the time, where I've got my little cursor now, pretty much where the car is actually, just on the footpath there. That is where I did the Vox Pop on the day that I first met Adam Bravo. How do you like that one, Gina? Remember that? Do you remember me turning up in the newspaper? Yeah, I remember that whole story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good times. Good times. Anyway, so yeah, this is pretty much the heart of Melbourne. So we'll get on with this uh, video then. So you've got the guy in the station wagon doing his doughies and, um, you know, people recording him. That, that's a, I tell you what, it takes courage to do that, regardless of whether this event is real or fake. Oh, yeah, wow. Someone's, someone tried yeah, to... Yeah, so John, you yeah, see those two guys? I think those two guys are just random Maori guys with baseball bats trying to smash the car. So if it was all orchestrated, you know what I mean? Like that that, that could have been pretty scary because if that guy's going along with a, a show, so to speak, then, you know, he's, he's running the risk of like randoms coming up to him like that. And cause it's, it's totally uncontrolled, you know? Um, but yeah, if you want to just like, just let it play a little bit and then I'll, I'll point out the guy on the blue top. Wow. So I didn't, I didn't realize, Gina, I'll just, I'll just pause it. Obviously, I heard about this event, but I didn't realize that he'd actually done doughies in the middle of, because uh, that's the corner of Flinders and is it Swanston? What's the other street that goes past there? But man, that's that takes balls to do that. It's not, it's, the, the video's not playing very well, but anyway, it's coming up soon. There's the guy on the blue top, can you see him? Yeah, yeah he's, he's, doing doing like, he's doing like little boxing moves or something. He's doing boxing moves, and then and then as he comes around now, he then starts looking like he's like directing the whole thing, and then all the cops come out of nowhere and escort him up Swanson Street for the bloodbath. See, he looks like he's talking to him there, and if you see, watch the watch the, watch him. See how they're communicating to each other, and you see how he sort of, it's really poor video quality. If you watch it properly, you can see the guy sort of uh, signalling everyone and directing him up the street, and it looks so fucking suspicious, um, which is why, why I, I got you know, curious. Yeah, so what you're saying is in that video, and I'll put the link to this video in the info box below. So if it didn't play very well, people can check it out for themselves. It's like a one uh, minute, 20 second uh, video. It just shows a car doing doughies. And what Gino is bringing attention to is a guy in a blue hoodie who at first appears to be like doing boxing moves, but then appears in Gino's opinion to be like directing the guy, this guy here in the blue. So you can go and check that out for yourselves. So what you're saying, Gino, is because of the apparent dude in a blue hoodie seemingly possibly directing this guy with the car that's what makes you think that it's that it's a real event no no it's it's what i thought was it was the reason why i thought it was um you know whatever you call it a, a psyop or an uh, organized controlled event of some sort i thought he was there to sort of do, to like sort of say to the guy all oh, right you've done you've done this bit now because maybe it was planned for him to do a couple of donuts there now it's time to go up the rest of the cop cars have come because i think there was a few cop cars there, but I think they were waiting for a few more to come up the street. And I thought he came there to sort of say, right, they're all here now, up the street. And then you could see um, the guy too in the car, he was communicating to him and he was pointing up the street. So they were all sort of communicating that it's time to go up the street. And I just looked, it looked, it looked really strange. 
Um, but now I just look at it now, and I just think maybe I had my hoax goggles on too too hard, and and it, I just looking into something that it wasn't there. Maybe it was just the guy on the street that got excited, and maybe he was talking to um, the the Garganos, whatever the fuck his name was, and they'll probably just two retards going fucking yeah yeah, and then maybe they went I'm gonna go up there now, yeah go up there, and that's probably all that was communicated, and maybe the cops. Well, you know, because it doesn't really prove that he was talking to the cops either. He looked like he was just talking to him only, and they're probably just talking shit to each other because they're both, you know, nut jobs. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was just thinking maybe I was looking into something that wasn't there, and I, I've just changed my mind on on that. That's all. Well, get this man in the live chat. There's an all-star cast there. We've got people like obviously Sam, who's in Adelaide, but we've got the Rockno, who last I spoke to him, he was down there in Melbourne. Our comedian I says that he was down there in Melbourne. He's another long-time listener. Adam Bravo is in the live chat, and he says that it's not just the guy in the blue shirt. There were other people directing, which I think uh, he's suggesting that there's more evidence in his opinion that this was a, a staged thing. There's a new listener in the live chat who calls himself Pepe Forever. That's a pretty cool username, actually. And he's asking what would be the benefit in this being fake in the first place. So maybe we should take a couple steps back, uh, Gino, because some people might be listening to this who don't actually believe in any baby hoaxes. They think, like all the news is real, are there any people in the, in the so-called alt-right or people who float around in those circles who are, they're very aware of things like race realism and the JQ and that kind of thing, the holo hoax even, but they've got no idea about the baby hoaxes, just these basic one or two people dying news media events that might be questionable. So do you want to just take a couple steps back for those kind of listeners, for however many are out there, explain to them maybe why you think even if this particular event was real, why you think maybe some of these smaller scale stories might be fake? Which ones are you referring to? Because Well, uh, any of them. I mean, uh, Boston bombings, Sandy Hook, any of these things. I mean, like these, these are events that are major in the news cycle for a day or for a week or for a month. In the case of Sandy Hook, maybe they keep coming up every couple of years. But in the broader sense of the world in which we live, in the broader sense of the deceptions that are going on and the agendas, what have you, these are really small-scale events. That's why I call them baby hoaxes. Maybe one person dies, maybe five, maybe 20, but in the grand scheme, they're not really that important, but they get a lot of coverage. There are some of them that you think might be fake, and a lot of people will say, well, what's the benefit of faking You know, people getting run over? What's the benefit of faking kids getting killed at a school or people getting bombed in a bombing? Why would the news or the government or whoever's doing it, why would they fake any of these events in the first place? Like, Why would you even question this stuff, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, that's a good question. Yeah, um, and it, it always gets asked all the time, and uh, the, you know the whys, um, and um, yeah, there's we, we'll never know the whys. We can we can never know that for sure, but we can always uh, theorise the the, the why. Um, and there's uh, there's quite a few um, theories that I've I've uh, wondered over the years and discussed with um, uh, my my fellow conspiracy theory friends. Uh, which is, um, I think, I think the number one is it could be just a, like a valuable product. Like if you look at news stories and stuff, if you get a really good news story, that's a very valuable product there. Um, and sometimes they may struggle uh, the media with like really good, interesting um, uh, stories to, to report on. So they they can that's that's a, that's a reason right there. They could uh, they could do it just for that. Um, <clears throat> some of these events have. Um, charities as well, donations that happen that raise so much amounts of money is ridiculous. This one here, for example, although I think it's real, but they've got the they've got the uh, the donation thing happening now. They've raised um, I don't know how much it's they're up to 100 grand already, I think, or even more. Um, 
and uh, and then you've also got the um, the theories as to you know why they're doing it uh, in terms of uh, laws, like maybe to pass law, certain laws to control us more, to uh, take away more privacies and uh, more privacy and um, rights, etc. Uh, there's that, there's that side of thing as well. Um, but yeah, uh, look in terms of uh, previous um, events that were that we've all looked at in the past, it seemed pretty staged or seem um, uh, hoax or or even false flag, whatever. If you guys know the difference between the, those three things. Um, Sandy Hook's a good one. Uh, I'm still, you know, we, we discussed this last time we hung out, John. I'm still not like 100% on Sandy Hook, but I'm pretty, I'm swaying heavily towards it being a giant hoax and no kids got killed. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know 100%. Um, and so Sandy Hook's one, if anyone out there is listening uh, and they haven't uh, heard about it or looked into it, uh, spend, spend a bit of time looking into that. It'll, it's, it'll blow your mind. Uh, another one uh, which really woke me up was the first one was the Elliot Rogers shooting, John, and you know how I feel about that one. That one there's I'm, I'm pretty certain was uh, was a staged event. Uh, there's also that uh, Cassidy Stay shooting. Uh, how many others? There's so many. I could be going about it all night, really. There's also the Orlando shooting, uh, the Pulse nightclub one, um, the one that happened in Sydney here, Minto, the stabbing that looked obviously staged and. There's, yeah, and the, and the Sydney Siege, uh, I, I'm not sure about that one now because looking at this one, I don't know, like, I'm having second thoughts on that one, uh, but yeah, call me crazy. Yeah, that's fair enough. So I guess the, the background for people who are very new to what I call the baby hoaxes is there are many major, there are many media events that dominate the news cycle for a short period of time. The Sydney Siege is a good example. Elliot Rogers is a good example. And people like myself and Gino and many others would say it's worth rather than just believing these stories straight away, it's worth just taking some time to look into the official story for yourself, to look at, if, you, if you're interested in the story, if you're interested enough to believe it, why not spend some time looking at the photos or the videos or just seeing if the overall narrative makes sense. You don't necessarily have to believe what the news tells you. And then people might come back and say, oh, but why would the news lie? Well, I put it back on you. Why would you believe the news? Like it's forget the news line for a second. Just why would you want to believe them? What what makes you think that they are trustworthy or reliable in the first place? I think a lot of people start from this basis of whatever the news tells me is real until someone disproves it. And I'm suggesting that in my case, I don't take anything the television tells me as real until I've verified it for myself. Otherwise, it's a television, and the people who run the televisions aren't my friends, and they don't they don't really pretend to be my friends. Only morons think that the news readers are their friends or that they're reliable. So why are you allowing yourself to be a moron and to believe a single word they say without checking it for yourself? So rather than say, why would they lie? My question is, why would you believe them? What, what reason do you have to believe them in the first place? That's the kind of response I would make to people. If they want to go further and say, okay, okay, I'm not going to believe them necessarily, but I, I just can't work out why they, would, why they would want to lie to me about certain events. I think with different events, there might be different motivations and different actors. And by actor, I just mean different um, parties or organizations involved in it. Take the Sydney Siege, for instance. The Sydney Siege, I've proven, I've made videos proving that the mainstream media was complicit in a large part of that story. Like at, at best, they were complicit in a large part of the story. I've proven that the big flower memorial that they were milking for days and days, it was actually media people who started that. And if you know how to read between the lines, they actually openly admit to it. And I've documented all of this on my channel. So in the case of a journalist or a photographer, 
It might be that they get to be the ones who break a big story or that they get to be the ones who go on television. In the case of cameraman Greg, maybe he believes it was real. Maybe he was in on it. Maybe this is his big claim to fame. He gets to be on the news for 15 minutes. So people at that level, they might actually believe part of the story. They might not believe it. I don't know. Then you get higher up into the story, like um, say the the father of the, the guy who supposedly died. If you look into his background, he's uh, an artist who's had uh, links to other high-profile people in the Sydney social circles. So what are his motivations? And then you go another higher level up. Who are the people who are actually planning all of this? I don't pretend to know. I don't, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what their motivations are. But I don't need to know who is behind the deception to be able to spot the deception. So you might see a, a magician on a, on a stage. The magician might just be the front man. There might be other people orchestrating all of his tricks or writing his script or doing the sound production. You might not know who those people are, but you can still identify when there's deception taking place. That's how I treat these baby hoaxes. So, Gino, with my little background uh, given to the, the story of baby hoaxes there, would you agree with, with that summation? Do you have anything you want to throw into that? Yeah, I, I totally... Um... Well, not totally, but yeah, I agree with most of what you said. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, fair enough. Right. Is... Sorry, sorry, John, you go. Yeah, so we've got people in the live chat, and uh, our comedian I says, "Are you guys seriously suggesting that there are no real events ever, and nobody ever dies?" No, I'm not suggesting that. I don't think anybody in the live chat is suggesting that. What you've just done is what we call a straw man. So you've misrepresented what somebody is saying to attack the misrepresentation. Now, that's a logically fallacious thing to do, and I think it's a weak thing to do, but sometimes people do it, they know what they're doing, but they're doing it in a cowardly fashion. That is, they're, they're misrepresenting someone's argument intentionally to try and point score. Some people are just moronic, and they can't actually think logically. All they can do is think in extremes. So they think of anyone they're speaking to as having an extreme position, and they attack that extreme position. They can't really think logically. So Archimedes and I, I'll let you make up your own mind. Are you misrepresenting what people are saying uh, because it's an intentional thing to, to point score? Or are you just uh, a moron? I, I'm not really sure. That one of the problems, Gino, is this kind of um, inquiry, if you like, this kind of field of discussion, it does bring out a lot of sub-IQ people. I'm talking people who are one, sometimes two standard deviations below the mean very moronic people and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if some of the usual suspects, some of the regular YouTubers who make videos on this topic are indeed claiming that this is definitely a hoax. Now I don't watch these channels anymore but I've got a sneaking suspicion you do. Can you tell me are all the regular crowd, the normal YouTubers who make videos on these topics, are they all coming out and saying that this was a hoax straight away? Are you talking to me, John? <laughs> Sorry. I was reading some of the comments. Who, who's it? So hang on. Can I just confirm uh, the question by uh, the Archimedes guy is saying, is it, where's the evidence of it being a hoax? A so, I, I, um, I've just been talking about how I don't think it's a hoax. So I don't, I don't know what he's getting at. Um, well, I think anyway. Archimedes and I might be responding to people in the live chat. He's saying, he or she is saying, are you guys suggesting that everything is fake? And I don't think anyone's ever suggested that. And so I'm pointing out that that is a straw man argument. Now, can you tell me, Gino, have you been watching all the regular YouTubers who usually do videos on this kind of topic? Have they all come out and said that this was fake? Uh, well, I haven't uh, watched too many of them. There was uh, one guy that Adam showed me the other night when I was at his house. I can't remember the YouTuber's name. Um, and he was just sort of going over. And he was an Aussie guy. He was going through something and it just it didn't really prove anything. Though. It, was, it was nothing. 
I was waiting with anticipation for uh, PK to come out and do something, particularly over the weekend when I was still thinking that there was something strange about it with the whole uh, guy with the blue top and, and you know, there was another reason why I thought it was as well, the fact that uh, in the morning uh, before the, the, the incident, there was footage of a, a news reporter, um, this lady, uh, reporting on a stabbing, which was his, the guy's stabbing apparently, and he just appeared in the background waving his hat and then drove off. And I thought, well, that's really strange. But then it turns out that she was report doing the report at the guy's house. So that, that's fine. Like, obviously, he probably just came around the corner because that's where he lived, you know. I thought, okay. I thought maybe that was somewhere else, and he just so happened to be there. And I thought, oh, this whole thing's weird. But um, it turns out that was at his house, so that's no big deal. Anyway, so I've gone off on topic here. So back to PK. Um, so, look, I was really um, looking forward to seeing what he was going to say about it. But by the time he, he uploaded something, which was last night, I'd already sort of decided, like, concluded that it, uh, it can't possibly be anything that I was thinking that it was. And, yeah, and, and his video wasn't much. It was just explaining why he went quiet the past few days. And, you know, he started off saying that he thought it was real at first because there's no way that you, they could pull off a hoax like that in broad daylight. And I said, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that he said that because that's, that's exactly true. Like, there's no way they can do that in the middle of broad daylight in the middle of the CBD in Melbourne. And then he jabbed on for a bit longer, and then he starts going on about how he he reckons it's staged, totally staged, and I'm going to be going to the city and get some, I'm going to get a camera and take photos of it and stuff, and I'm going to I'm going to make heaps of videos. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll keep an open mind, I'll watch them and see what he's got to say. But I don't know how he's going to pull that off because I really don't think it's uh, there's anything suspicious about it. As much as I've looked into it, I just can't see anything strange about it. The other, the other guy I noticed uh, was Lift the Veil. I'm not sure if you heard of him. I actually like that guy sometimes, like some of the things he says about the moon landings and stuff. Uh, just tonight before I got on with you, we, um, uh, I watched a video of his on it, and I, I put a comment saying, you know, I, I think you, you, know, you could be wrong here because I, I, I know people, da, 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 I, don't think, I think it's real, etc. And then he responded to me, which he's never really done before, and he wrote something like, oh, I didn't say that it was a, a psyop. I just pointed out some weird things and pointed out, you know, how they're going to use this to change things. And I was thinking, oh, okay, good response. And for some reason, the guy blocked me. I couldn't respond. I couldn't, yeah, I don't know. That was weird. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much all I've noticed with the community, uh, John, because I'm, I'm not too into it anymore, you know? Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, in the live chat, our committee and I has said that um, that it's that it's not their position. Uh, they're not misrepresenting me being extreme. They're, they're saying that my position is extreme. I'm not really sure I've stated a position on this event yet in uh, on this live show. And I think... The more that I study people on the, on the individual and on the collective level, on the micro and the macro, the more I'm coming to realize that the average person today, they're not simply misguided or misinformed. They're actually in many uh, real, in a very real sense of the term, they're retarded. And, and I can say, I can chat with you for 20 or 30 minutes and not state that I think this event was real or fake. Just, just talk about it in the broad sense and then talk about these events in a more of a broad sense. And they can say that my position is extreme because they're hearing what they want to hear. They're hearing what they're going to hear. They're not really thinking through things. And unfortunately, we're surrounded by this every day by the normies who we work with and who we associate with. And also, especially in the so-called truth movement, there are lots of these people there as well who just, they can't really listen and think and reflect on what they've heard and entertain new ideas. They get very emotional very quickly, very irrational. And then you see the results of it. You see people straw manning arguments and accusing each other of being shields and all this nonsense. And that's one of the reasons, Gina, why I have really not very much to do with the so-called truth movement these days, because in my opinion, most of them, not all of them, 
but most of them are every bit as retarded as the general population who believe the news in the first place. Do you see what I'm trying to say there? I certainly do. Uh, I just read uh, the Archimedes, Archim, whatever his name is, oh, his last comment. Um, I might have to agree with him on that one, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Archimedes and I might be a nice guy. Like he says that his girlfriend was there and saw it. That's fine. It doesn't mean that anything I've said is extreme. Like, see, see this, is, this is a classic example, actually. I'm glad that Archimedes and I is in the live chat. I'll call him AE from now on. Because his girlfriend was there and she believes the event was real, now he feels like he's got a, a connection to the event. He's convinced it was real. Now anyone who would even consider the notion that it wasn't real, instantly in his mind that person becomes an adversary whose, op whose opinion is extreme, and so he can no longer think or engage with the conversation rationally. And look, whether it's nature or nurture, that is how most people are today. Once they feel a connection to something, whether it's a TV event or something from the past or whatever, whatever it is, once they feel that they've got a direct connection to it, Anyone who would even question the narrative that they've bought into becomes an enemy and logical conversation becomes almost impossible. But in the case of AE, listen, if you want to come on the show, just uh, Skype me and I'll send you a link and you can come on and I'll shut up and uh, Gina will shut up and we'll just let you tell, tell the story that your girlfriend told you. I mean, there's no, there's no need to get angry or upset about this. There's no need to accuse each other of having extreme positions. You can just come on. Tell us what you heard and, uh, and we'll all be friends. There's no problem here. And the same goes for a couple of other people in the live chat as well who, uh, who seem pretty convinced that this was a fake event. I'm looking at you, Adam Bravo. Come on the show, man. Come and tell us what you think. Like, there's, there's no need for anyone to get angry or emotional. And this is another thing, Jenna, that um, it does get me with the, the so-called truth movement is how, like, how passionate so many of them are, whether they think an event is real or fake. They're so passionate about it, even though in the vast majority of cases, They'll never meet any of the victims, whether the victims are real or fake. They'll never meet any of the families of the victims, whether those families are real or fake. They've got no actual direct connection. Their only, their only connection, if you can call it that, is through the pixels on a TV or a computer screen, and yet it can still stir up so many emotions in them. It's, uh, it's staggering to me, even after a couple of years of, of being uh, you know, involved one way or another in this uh, in the so-called truth movement, it still staggers me how passionate people are about these events. If I were to find out tomorrow that uh, the Sydney siege was real, for instance, it's just suppose that was to happen, I'd say, all right, well, I said it was fake, so I was wrong, and I'd move on with my life. You know, it wouldn't be something where I'd have to, no, it's fake, because, no, it's, well, what, what does the evidence say? That's what the evidence says? Great, let's move on with our lives. It's not a, not a really big deal, Gino. And, uh, yeah, do you have anything you want to add to, to that line of uh, thinking? Well, I do, actually, as a matter of fact, because... We can't have people going around saying that this shit is fake when it's not. It's going to poison the truth community, John. <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. Uh, many of the listeners have no idea what you're, uh, what you're doing there, Gino. Uh, that's a little reference to our old friend Jeffrey C. of uh, Free Radio Revolution. And this is actually something that... You, it's the history of the so-called truth movement. Like I kind of consider myself like a, almost like the only historian of the so-called truth movement on YouTube. If you look, I've done many videos and many podcasts looking at chronology of events because this is really just a social scene. There's no, there's very little real research that's done in, uh, in this so-called community. It's mostly just people and, you know, how do you put it? For most people, this is just like a version of Facebook. You know, it's just a form of social media. This guy might have a thousand subscribers. This guy might have five thousand. This guy says that guy's a shield. That guy says that guy's a shield. But it's really all just nonsense. It's going nowhere. It's not. It's not really important in the grand scheme of things. And if we look back to the Trans Asia event, 
that caused a big schism between the, some of the members of, at the time, the leading podcast because some people said TransAsia was real and some said it was fake. And uh, it would be funny, wouldn't it, Gino, if, uh, if the next TransAsia was to happen right in the heart of Melbourne? Oh, yeah, and, uh, and you and I have a massive, uh, you know, tiff about it and then we don't talk to each other for, for a little while and then someone tries to apologise and you hurt someone's feelings and all that sort of crazy nonsense, all, all that sort of gay shit. Yeah, the, Jeffrey C with his, um, with the TransAsia one, he's like, uh, oh, my heart goes out to the families. <laughs> if, yeah. if, I, if I hear you start saying my heart goes out to the families or... If, if I hear that some of these, um, some of the current leading YouTube truthers are saying that their heart goes out to the families, maybe I'll get some, um, maybe that's when my, uh, my spidey sense will start tingling and I might take interest in it. But um, if we speak more broadly, Gino, if we just look at the, at the meta aspects of this a bit more, the, the so-called truth community, can you tell us just quickly your own experience? It's been a couple of years now that you've been following all of this. We've seen shooting after shooting. We've seen terrorist event after terrorist event, bombing after bombing, trucks mowing down people in France. And then, you know, we've seen a lot of these events and the same YouTubers keep making the same videos and they'll have their falling outs and they'll call each other shields. But for the most part, they achieve absolutely nothing other than providing a, a cheap source of entertainment to a whole bunch of people around the world who have nothing better to do with their times but watch YouTube videos. Can you, are you starting to understand some of my what I call scepticism, what some might call cynicism towards this entire so-called community. Are you starting to see more and more why I just, um, I think most of them, not all of them, but most of them, they're, uh, they're really a waste of time. Well, yeah, it depends on who you're referring to. Are you just you're referring to the, uh, the, the, the audience or the, the actual people that do the uh, uploading? Yeah, if you look through the if you look through the audience, I mean, go to a typical video of one of the usual suspects who uh, who always make videos on these topics. I mean, every week or every second week, there's another fake event, there's another shooting or a bombing. There's always something to report on, and oh, we've you know, because in a way, they seem to be sometimes explicitly, but usually implicitly, kind of claiming that if they were to prove that this event was fake, that that would somehow change something, right? Like, oh this is going to go big and, you know, our numbers are growing. And if, if you look at any online truth community or any online movement whatsoever, or really any social movement where people are trying to build an audience, it's a very powerful thing to convince people that it's getting bigger, that they're part of a movement that's getting bigger and, oh, more people are waking up and, and this is going to be the one that, that brings down the, the lies in the news and, and all this kind of nonsense, right? A lot of those channels, that's what they're doing. They're like, oh, this event, this is going to be the one that, you know, we're going to prove it now. We've proven it this time. We've got the fake blood or we've got the actors turning up into events or whatever. I think if you look through the audience of those channels that are doing that, whether it's this event or others, if you look through the comments, you will find many people who, yeah, they are completely and utterly moronic. They truly believe that by watching these videos, they're becoming enlightened and that if more and more people watch these videos, that's somehow going to affect the establishment in one way or another, which to me, Gino, I want your opinion on this. To me, knowing what I know now, that is, uh, it's amusing. Like the, it's, it's a naivety to the point of hilarity. It's ridiculous to me. It's like you really think that by you guys watching these videos or even by making videos about baby hoaxes, that's going to change anything. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I, 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 I realised that a long time ago anyway that... Um, it's just so uh, unrealistic to think that it's going to 
change anything or do anything. But in saying that, um, gradually over a long period of time, we don't know. Like it could actually um, becomes instead of it being 0.00001% of the population, it may increase to 0.0025% of the population over the period of like 50 years. But like, what difference? Like, what difference would it make? You know what I mean? Like, at the yeah, end that's of that's my day, point. Like, it's not. That's my point. It's not going to make much of a difference. But it might. It might wake a few. It might check, like over time. And and um, I, I personally just and this, I've said this to you before, John. Sorry to interrupt. Um, and I say this to others. I personally don't expect any of that. Would never think that something like that could happen. Where you know, get it gets like to like you know, half the population are woken up to this stuff, and then stuff starts changing, and the establishment starts. You know, all there's there's like uh, um, what do you what do you call it riots and um, and revolutions and stuff like that. I don't, I never would ex expect or assume anything like that could ever possibly happen. But what I would like to happen, uh, which isn't much, is just to be surrounded by more people uh, that think more like myself. You know what I mean? That's that's all I want. If I can be surrounded by people that are, that can see it as well, and then I can relate to it, and it makes me feel less frustrated or less um, uh, alone on that, on that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a really natural human uh, feeling. You want to feel like the people who are around you on a day-to-day -day basis are similar to you. And when it comes to seeing through the deception of TV, again, putting aside this one particular event, just speaking more broadly, the reality is that the TV does lie often and many people don't seem to be able to realise that. They can't see it even when the evidence is right in front of them. We want to be around people who are like us and if we have stopped believing in television and we're surrounded by people who still believe in television, then even if we work the same jobs or we eat at the same restaurants or we even mix in the same social circles and drink on the Saturday night with the same people, if they still uh, see the world as being as it's represented by TV and we don't, then at a fundamental level, it is an isolating feeling. And so it's, it's almost like an ostracizing feeling because either you keep it to yourself, in which case you're kind of repressing part of who you are, or you do bring it up in public. And unless you're very finely skilled at dealing with people, then you're probably going to find a lot of pushback socially, even to the point of ostracism. So there are a lot of people out there who they do see through the deception of TV and they do just want to be around people who are like them in a fundamental way, which I think is one of the, one of the main reasons why the so-called truth movement and all of the charlatans who are involved in it are able to draw in such a crowd because these people are yearning for somebody who is like them. And so if, if you are desperate or you're yearning to be uh, around someone who thinks like you and the only place you can find it is uh, online on YouTube or elsewhere, then you're also more likely to be forgiving of those people when they do things that otherwise you would disagree with or uh, make you uh, not want to associate with them, which is one of the reasons why the charlatans on YouTube can lie or make bad predictions and get away with it. They can say, oh, in February this is going to happen or we saw this thing and it's proof of this. and if, if they get proven wrong or if their predictions don't turn out, their followers instantly forgive them because where else are the followers going to go? They need these people because without these people, they feel like they've got absolutely nothing. Can you see what I'm trying to say there? Yeah, um, sort of. But the audio sort of cut out there a bit, John, and I, you're, you're cutting out a fair bit there. But um, Well, you've got to interrupt yeah. me if it's cutting out because I could be saying something that, that I want other people to hear. So if it's cutting out, I was you I was trying to. I was trying to say something, and then I put a little comment in our, our chat as well saying... Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and be more concise. The point I'm making is that we naturally want to be around people who are like us. And if we don't yeah. believe the TV, that's a fundamental part of who we are. And so the charlatans on YouTube 
once they draw this crowd in, they can get away with being wrong about anything or carrying on like pork chops or having stupid arguments or threatening to bash people, do all this stuff that most sensible people would say, that person, I don't like that person. I'm not going to listen to what that person has to say. But they'll keep coming back for more because where else can they go to get uh, a perspective that they feel they can agree with like that so they can see through the deception? That's one of the reasons why I think many of these charlatans who've made so many bad predictions or been proven wrong so many times or carried on like pork chops so many times, they can still keep the same audience because where else is that uh, audience going to go? Where else can they go? Exactly. Uh, John, is it, are you going to get any one of those guys on, on, um, on the show? And um... None of them have contacted me on, um, on Skype too. But in the live chat, I'll just say this one more time. If you want to come on the show, just send us a Skype, guys. This is an impromptu chat. It's not a very formal thing. There's a few topics I want to cover, but you don't have to worry about being uh, too formal or anything. It's just a, a Google Hangout between a couple of people. And um, I'll turn it into a podcast like I always do. And if people want to listen, they can. They might get something out of it. They might not. But, um, yeah, don't stress too much, guys. If you want to come on an impromptu chat, now's the time to do it. But, EV, in the live chat, somebody was talking about Pizzagate and saying that in the Pizzagate uh, community, there are people who seem to think that they're going to bring down the system by exposing Pizzagate. Have you spent much time looking into uh, this Pizzagate topic yourself, Gino? No, not really, no. I, I, it was about a month or two ago when it stood a hit and I heard people talking about it. I looked into it a little bit, but no, it's just... It's not, there was no point looking into it because, like, as far as I'm concerned, maybe all that stuff could be going on. Uh, Maybe it isn't. There's no, there's no way I'll ever, you know what I mean? I, I like stuff where there's footage. You know, if there's something uh, like an event or a conspiracy theory, whatever you call it, and there's footage, uh, then that's where I, I can analyze it. And because they're, they're showing us something that's supposed to be real, and I can spot with my own eyes that it's not. Uh, with, with Pizzagate, which, I, forgive me if I'm getting it wrong, Pizzagate's something to do with like um, pedophilia, and the, there's uh, elite people out there, I don't know, uh, with like some sort of pedophilia ring going on. Is that what it is, John? Yeah, so the Pizzagate one, I haven't spent that much time looking into it, but basically a couple of months ago, somebody on Reddit or on one of the poll boards had supposedly gone through a whole bunch of emails from some guy. I think it was John Podesta. It might have been someone related to the Democratic. This is either just before the election or around that time, right? So supposedly those emails had been leaked. This user had gone through all those emails and he had found what he thought was evidence of a pedophile ring being run amongst the elite. And supposedly, if you looked at a whole bunch of these emails and replaced certain key terms with other terms, then it was proof of pedophilia organization, right? And that was picked up on the on the poll boards. More people started looking at the email, supposedly. And next thing you know, they think they've got all of this proof that there's this pedophile ring being run. Are you still with me? Is the audio coming through all right? Yeah, no, the audio sounds good. All right, sweet. So, so what happened was more people on the Reddit and the poll boards uh, supposedly went through the emails, started looking up names. They connected a, a, a shop or a pizza, a pizzeria to these emails. And basically, overall, they'd come up with this conclusion that there was this elite pedophile ring being run and that they, it was going to bring down the establishment or something like this, right? Now, the reason why I never bothered looking into it was because... Uh, the leaked emails supposedly had something to do with WikiLeaks. They might have even been leaked through WikiLeaks. And it was from a person connected to the Democratic Party. And then I saw it was getting pushed on all of the alternative uh, media uh, outlets. So for me, there's three red flags right from the get-go. WikiLeaks, someone directly connected to the establishment, or at least the front of the establishment, the Democratic Party, and being pushed by the so-called alternative media outlets. 
there's three red flags. I'm not going to waste my time. Like, I'm not saying that, that it's a completely fake thing or there's no um, substance to it. I don't know. But why am I going to waste my time? Like, if you, if, if by this stage, you still don't realize that WikiLeaks is a joke and Julian Assange is a joke, if you still haven't worked that out, that's fine. I'm not going to bother talking about this with you because it's that obvious. It'd be like trying to discuss a, a baby hoax with someone who didn't know about the baby hoaxes. You know what I mean? Like, if you think a man can have both of his legs blown off and still be alive and conscious eight minutes later, Okay, fine. I'm not going to try and argue with you. Like you just, you, you're not quite ready yet. Same thing with WikiLeaks. If you actually think WikiLeaks is legitimate, and it's an actual whistle whistleblower site, then that's fine. But why would I waste my time trying to talk to you? And so that that was my impression on the whole PizzaGate thing. And what I've seen is <laughs> there was this video. I think Lester Needham did this video where he showed a photo of a baby um, or of a child with their hands uh, duct taped to a table, and Lester was like, "If you think that this is proof of of pedophilia." then there's something wrong with you. And I was like, there's no way people are trying to say that that is a photo that's proof of anything. Like I thought, because Lester's, I usually like Lester as a video maker. I was like, Lester, like you're not, surely you're not misrepresenting the these Pizzagate uh, people's story. And then I found out, no, that's actually, these people who believe in Pizzagate, they really believe that this is proof of, of a pedophile ring. It was actually a photo that they thought was evidence. A photo of a child with duct tape on their hands to a table, that's evidence of, of an elite pedophile ring. And I was like, you've, Wow, these people are—they're off the deep end, you know. They're just seeing what they want to see, right? Now, is a child with their hands duct taped to a, a table—is it a weird photo? Sure. I mean, I—I I wouldn't personally put any photos of children on on Facebook, and I wouldn't put photos of them with duct tape on their hands. It's just a weird thing. But it's not proof of anything. And so, when I found out that that was actually—that's actually one of their claims. This this stupid photo of of a child with duct tape on the table. Like when I found out that was, that was actually proof that in their minds that this was a, a real thing that they, I was like, wow, these people are, uh, these people are just as bad as those flat earth retards, right? Like that, they're, they're just seeing what they want to see. And that was the end of it for me. And, uh, and so it turned out, yeah, Lester was actually quite right. They were actually using that photo in their minds as evidence. So once again, Lester was completely right. And I, I agree with Lester on the, on this topic of, of Pizzagate. And so I posted uh, someone, I forget his name, but someone did a video basically just saying this Pizzagate thing is just another red herring. You've all been misled once again. And so I mirrored it. And then a person who uh, used to be a, like a nice commenter on my videos accused me of being a CIA shill or something like that. They're like, see, John, they've, they've gotten to JLB as well, right? JLB's covering for the elite pedophile rings. All I did was post a video that someone else had done questioning the Pizzagate narrative. And in their minds, that made me, that was proof positive that I was a paid shill. And it's, that's the problem, man. This scene attracts legitimate retards, people who are two standard deviations below the mean, like people who just have no clue. And once they get emotionally invested in a story, anyone who challenges that narrative that they've bought into becomes an enemy, an adversary, a CIA sure, whatever, right? And I was like, yeah, Pizzagate, it sucks people in, just like Flat Earth, just like the so-called truth community. It's just, it sucks people in, man, and um, very sad thing. So does that all make sense to you, Jenna? Is that a, is that a decent overview of the of the Pizzagate thing? Do you, can you see where it's coming from? Uh, yeah, I agree with most of it, what you said, yeah. And that's the reason what, <clears throat> that's what I was saying myself. There's not, there wasn't really much, you know, anything for me to look into in terms of evidence and stuff. So I just wasn't really, and I mean, I heard, I heard stuff like that from 10 years ago because I was always a big fan of David Icke back in the day. And he was always saying stuff like that, you know, 2005 when I was big on that, how they, they're pedophiles, etc. And they, and whoever they are, the royal family, the, the, the royal, the royal family of, in Britain, whether it be. Uh, other countries in Europe, or the royal families, as they call it in, in America, which is the Rothschilds and the Bushes and the and the Rockefellers, whatever. 
accusing them all of like being people that would drink, uh, sacrifice children and drink their blood and, and pet their pedophiles. I heard all that stuff 12 years, you were a long time ago, you know what I mean? And I was, and there's no way that I'll ever be able to confirm that's true or not. You know, so for me, it's kind of just old news. I hear about this Pizzagate and people go, oh, I hear about Pizzagate? Yeah, well, so it's just another silly conspiracy theory and it's a bit more mainstream now because we've got, um, you know, we've got, the, we've got YouTube, we've got the internet, whereas it wasn't as big 10 years ago when I had a, like a really secret copy of this DVD of David Icke talking, which is hard to get your hands on. Uh, you could only get it on a DVD, like a burnt DVD somewhere or a burnt VHS tape. Um, and... Uh, like even even the likes of Joe Rogan, which is like a pretty mainstream uh, sort of uh, radio talk show where you talk about MMA, even even someone like him was talking about it, and I was like, oh well, okay. But um, but yeah, I'm really yeah not interested in that topic at all, to be honest, John. Um, so but yeah, well, look, just I, I before we well just before we move on to the next topic, though, I will say with this uh, Pizzagate thing, is it possible that the people who run the show, whoever they are, right, whichever the groups uh, involved in the running of this whole uh, world that we live in or society, whatever. Is it possible that they are involved in things like child pedophilia and, and drinking blood and all the rest of it? Sure, it's possible. It wouldn't if I found out, like if I got actual evidence that that was going on, I wouldn't even be surprised. I'd be like, "Yep, that doesn't surprise me one bit." I mean, if I was trying to uh, to run the show, then I would want to have uh, evidence against people. Like I'd want to initiate them in a way that sort of made them feel different from the rest of society, and I'd want to have that initiation to be such a thing that. If they ever were to step out of line for whatever reason, I could use it against them. And so child pedophilia and stuff like that, that'd be a perfect tool to use, right? So if I were to, pardon me, see like completely legitimate evidence that it was going on, I wouldn't be like, oh, wow, I'm shocked. I'd be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. All I'm saying is that the evidence that was presented with this um, Pizzagate thing is ridiculous. It's not evidence of anything. It's just another joke. It's another red herring, right? And uh, I want to make that that point clear to listeners. Like, am I, am I suggesting that whoever runs a show does not do this stuff? No, I don't know. They might, they might not. I don't know. I don't have any evidence. I don't pretend to have any evidence. And I think a lot of people, their beliefs are not based on evidence. Their beliefs are based on emotion. And then they'll try and fit any evidence they can into the belief. Whereas what I try and do is only hold beliefs where I've found the evidence. So I go, evidence first. Have I got enough to have an opinion strongly one way or another? I don't. Fine, no opinion. Might be real, might be fake. I don't know. The vast majority of people in this scene, they do the opposite. They have an emotional investment in a belief one way or the other. And then they cherry pick the evidence to suit themselves and then they go from there. And a couple of years ago, I thought that by presenting my method of thinking that I might be able to persuade more people to my method of thinking to base their beliefs on evidence rather than the other way around. Two years later, I realized that that's not how it works. Someone who is inculcated in that um, you know, emotional-based belief system, which is what school does to us, it's what TV does to us, it, it trains us to think emotionally. There's nothing that I can do or say that will change that. They'll have to want to change it themselves. And most people don't want to change their method of thinking. It's even harder than changing belief. It's it's changing the way that you come to belief. Uh, no one's going to change that unless they want to. And generally, the people involved in this you know, so-called truth community, that's not why they're here. They're here to have affirmation of the beliefs they already hold. So, um, so yeah, that's... That's why one of the great shames of uh, of the people in this community. And someone in the live chat said, "Oh, well, JLB, if if everyone here's just a retard, why are you wasting time?" Well, that's the thing. Not everyone is. There are there's a small percentage of people. Sadly, I would put it at less than ten percent. There is a small percentage of people involved in this broader scene who can think and who are improving their their understandings of the world and trying to uncover things. Those people are, are very much worth collaborating with and talking to and listening to and all the rest of it. So I get plenty out of that. 
but they make up a tiny percentage of the overall audience. And I think pretending otherwise is just um, it's just deluding yourself. So we've covered the Melbourne event, Gino, and uh, we've looked a little bit at Pizzagate. There's a couple more topics I want to talk about tonight. Are you able to stay with us or are you taking off? Yeah, I've got to get going. I've got to go to bed, John. I've got work tomorrow, so but thanks for the chat and uh, letting me get a few things off my chest about the uh, the uh, the incident on Friday. Uh, we didn't really, we could have discussed it a bit more thoroughly, but we, we got the main points out, I suppose, and I think that was enough. Um, so, but yeah, thanks for the chat. I'll leave it up to you now to cover, I think you want to discuss your um, your, the, your future plans on this uh, doco and the, and the dinosaur um, topics. Uh, so I'll let you go, John, and um, I'll speak to you soon, sir. No worries, man. Thanks for the phone call tonight. It inspired me to do this show, so I do appreciate it. Eccentric Views, everybody. I'll put a link to his channel in the info box below. You can go and check it out for yourselves. And who knows, maybe he'll do a little video about the uh, Melbourne event to make his position a bit more crystal clear. But uh, that's the end of EV. Thank you very much. Now, a couple more topics I want to talk about tonight. Uh, the dinosaur documentary that I've got coming up and uh, some research I've been doing into Gustave Le Bon. Gustave Le Bon, the man who pioneered crowd psychology as a field of study. And then also 9-11, some research I've been doing into that. So let's get into that straight away. Firstly, on the dinosaur topic, if you go to johnlebond.com right now, you'll find a whole bunch of videos that I've put together from the first attempt that I made to get to Winton in Queensland in Australia. Now, I'm sure many of you guys know the background to this, but the very long story short is that in Queensland, which is a very large state, geographically speaking, in the middle of it, I guess, sort of northwest of Brisbane, there's a character who is a farmer. And this particular farmer claims to have found two meteorites on his property and two different dinosaurs as well on his property. And the really cool thing is he didn't even have to dig to find any of these uh, meteorites or dinosaurs. He just tripped over them. Uh, such was his amazing luck. And so he parlayed these amazing finds into a uh, government-funded museum, which is now, I guess, the tourist epicenter of that entire region of Australia. There's uh, several museums, actually, and uh, he happens to run one of them. And if you go to johnlebond.com, you'll find far more information about all of this. As with all of my work, I provide plenty of links and references and citations, so you can double-check it for yourself. This is the official story. None of this is my opinion. This is the official story and so what I wanted to do was go out to his museum and inspect it for myself and inspect the other museums that are out in that part of Australia just to see what their evidence is that they found all of these species of dinosaur. Now originally the plan was to make the trip out there with an old buddy of mine Lucas from Bitcoin Brisbane. Sadly the first trip we ran into some mechanical problems and about 500 kilometers into the trip we had to abort mission and return back to Brisbane but in the weeks leading up to the trip, I'd done so much research into the background of all of this that I was very content in my own opinion that I'd come to a, a pretty safe and sound conclusion about all of this and I was happy to move on to the next project. And I'd also gotten a lot of video footage in that first couple of days of the trip. And I was able to put together, I think 70 minutes so far I've put together, maybe, maybe close to 80 minutes worth of content just from those first two days. And I was very happy with the, the final product from the first couple of days. Then what happened is that uh, a relatively newcomer to my website basically said, hey, JLB and Lucas, that's that's pathetic. You know, you, you should have kept on going. You should have been able to find more money to get a rental car to keep on going on with the trip. You know, it's it's a very poor effort. And, you know, young people today are, 
this is why you can't trust young people and words to this effect, right? I'm paraphrasing, but this was the basic gist of what he was saying. So Lucas and I made a video response to him and said, hey, mate, look, uh, $1,000, if that's nothing to you, why don't you send us 1000 and uh, and I'll make the trip myself. Lucas can't come. He, uh, he has to go back to work. He took a week off work to, uh, to be part of the film. But uh, me, myself, I don't have to go back to work so soon. So I said, I'll go and do the trip. I'll, uh, I'll go and do it myself, send through the cash, mate. And uh, kind of surprisingly to me, he actually did send through $500. He said, I'll send you through 500 bucks if you go and do the trip. And then a few other people on the website said, we'll chip in as well, JLB. If you go and do this trip, we'll chip in and we'll make it happen because I'd already purchased all the hardware. I'd purchased a couple of GoPro cameras. I'd purchased some, uh, some SD cards to go with the GoPro cameras. I'd purchased a whole bunch of material to help me make the film. Lucas had purchased a, um, uh, what do you call them, the Phantom, the, the DGI-3 Phantom, the quadcopters, the drones, to help us get some cool footage as well on the trip. So we spent quite a fair bit on the hardware for the trip. So I didn't need to buy any of that again, but to rent a car and to pay for the fuel and the rest of it, I was like, that probably cost me about a thousand bucks. And so the supporters came through and between, there was about four people, I think, chipped in. It came to something like $1,300 that they, uh, they managed to come up with in the space of a day, which surprised me. And so... I'd been originally planning to move on and um, and basically go and get uh, get a new job actually, and uh, maybe set up base somewhere else from Brisbane. And I still plan to do that. But when all of this happened, I said I said to myself, "Well, I'm happy to to do this. I'll put the other plans on hold and make another trip out to Winton." Sadly, I'm going to have to do that by myself. I was hoping to have Lucas with me because that way he could drive and I could do all the footage. And um, you know, it works a lot better when you've got two people than one. But I'm sure I can still put together something uh, more than worthwhile doing it all by myself. And so at the moment, I'm, I guess I'm back in pre-production mode. I'm uh, spending all my days either at the library or at a, a nearby food place where they've got the uh, internet and spending my days just uh, yeah, working on the, the pre-prod for the film and other research that I'm doing. And I'll be making that trip in a couple of weeks. And so what I've done is the original videos, which were originally released just to full members on the website, I've now released them to everyone, to free members. So you can sign up for a free membership at johnlebond.com. You'll get access to those videos. They're nothing like what you see on YouTube. Most of the people on YouTube who are interested in these kinds of topics, most of them are either retarded or they're appealing to a retarded crowd who don't know anything about content production. They don't know anything about uh, real research or proper you know, rigorousness, if that's a word, when it comes to uh, putting together research and reading scientific papers and all the rest of it. They're just people who just spout bullshit onto their videos. Oh, this is fake or that's fake or I don't believe this guy. It's like... If you find that entertaining, then then by all means, keep watching it. I'm not going to try and take it away from you. But what I produce is, I think, uh, in a completely different league. Just my opinion. Go and watch it for yourself. See what you have to say. So uh, so if you're interested in that, you can go and see the footage from the first trip and uh, all the rest of it on johnthebond.com. Sign up for a free membership. You'll get access to those videos. Uh, they're hosted on Vimeo. They're not on YouTube. I don't put most of my material on YouTube these days. Go and check them out. And uh, if you like it, then in a couple of weeks, I'll be doing it all over again with the second phase of the trip. Now, why is Winton so important? Well, it's important in an Australian context because that is the heart of dinosaurs here in Australia. But it's more important than that. You see, if you look at the film Jurassic Park, released in 1993, I recommend you go back and watch the film in full. What you might notice is that it's very clear that they're pushing the notion that dinosaurs turned into birds. Now, if you study dinosaurs today, uh, even at school, but especially if you get to university, you'll be indoctrinated into the notion that dinosaurs turn into birds and every bird you see today is actually a dinosaur. But that hasn't always been the story. That's 
pardon me, that story became prominent in the 60s and especially the 70s in what was known as uh, the dinosaur renaissance, where dinosaurs went from these cold-blooded, slow, boring creatures into potentially warm-blooded, agile, fast-moving creatures more akin to modern-day birds than to modern-day lizards. Winton, Australia is very important to all of this because it's right near Lark Quarry. And Lark Quarry is supposedly where they have uh, a stampede, evidence of a stampede of dinosaurs. That stampede is used as an inspiration for the dinosaur stampedes that we see in Jurassic Park. And those stampedes are used to push the idea that birds act, that dinosaurs act like birds. And now that you know what I've just told you, if you go and watch Jurassic Park, you'll see it several times a Sam Neill character is talking about dinosaurs turning, uh, turning into birds. It's a big part of the narrative of the film. Some might even infer that that is one of the key messages that the film is trying to portray, that dinosaurs turn into birds, which is now something that many people believe. And you've got to remember that most people, they don't get their information from scientific papers. They don't even know where to find, let alone read scientific papers. They get their perceptions of reality from film. So a film like Jurassic Park had far more of an effect on the belief of the masses when it comes to dinosaurs than the scientific papers or the scientific claims that led to or inspired those films. Now, my research has gone much further than all of that. I've just given you a basic overview. Again, you can go and check all of that at johnlebon.com. But what I'll be doing when I'm on this trip is not just checking out Winton and the evidence that they've got there, but also presenting to the audience, the people who do see the final product, more of the research that I've done, especially into that dinosaur renaissance, because when you start connecting a few of the names, and there's not many people involved. I mean, you might think, oh, there's thousands of uh, paleontologists and that like, they all agree and so it must be real. There's actually not as many people involved in these stories as you might think. And uh, my research has revealed all of that to me. So it's very exciting for me personally. I've got another couple of weeks where I'll be uh, preparing for the for the film and then I'll be making the trip. And uh, yeah, all the members of johnlebond.com will get to uh, see that as it's happening. But um, if you're just a, a YouTube viewer and you just want YouTube videos from the same regular people covering baby hoaxes, uh, by all means, you can stick to that. But if you want something that's a little bit better in terms of the research that goes into it, the uh, the production values and that kind of thing, then I do recommend you head on to johnlebond.com. And a huge thanks to the people who've helped to make that film a reality. I want to give some people some shout-outs today, actually. So we'll start off with the four people who have helped to fund this trip, this second trip into Winton. Uh, they include uh, Miss Ali has contributed a sum of money towards the film, as has a bloke named, and I'll get his name correct here. I don't want to read out anything incorrectly. So let's get these names up properly, shall we? Big Dave, he says, is the name he wants to use in the credits of the film. So Big Dave, if you're listening to this, a huge thanks to you. You said to myself and Lucas that we should have just kept on going with the trip and we should have come up with another $1,000 on top of what we'd already invested. And we said to you, uh, why don't you come up with a 1000 bucks? Well, you came up with 500 which led to other people contributing. So a huge thanks to you, Big Dave. You'll definitely be in the credits of the final production. Uh, another couple of people, John Shaw, contributed some money towards this second trip into winter. So John, if you're out there, huge thanks to you. You'll be in the credits as well. And then finally, to Dante from New York. You know who you are. Uh, yeah, you're one of the four people who've contributed funds towards this second trip. And uh, when it's all said and done, I hope that all of you are just as proud of the final production as I will be because uh, without you guys, it wouldn't have happened. I was more than happy to uh, self-fund the first trip, as was Lucas, and we invested quite a bit into it. And as I said, I was actually pretty happy with the pre-production and what I discovered during that time. I was happy just to, uh, to put the whole project on the back burner and move on to other research. But because of you four people in particular, 
I'm making a second trip out to Winton, and anything that comes as a result of that, you guys can all take big credit for, and indeed, you will be in the credits. And I'll read out some more names at the end of this podcast as well. The people who've signed up as full members of the website and have helped to encourage me to keep putting out the content that I do. Of course, I'm putting out a lot less content on YouTube now for reasons that should be clear by what I've already said tonight. But uh, there's still more and more content being added to johnthebond.com every day for those members. And that's because they're there. That's because they care about what I'm doing. And when you do put as much time and effort into this as I do, you always like to know that there are people out there who actually do care about it. It's not just uh, a pastime. It's not just a, a replacement for TV where they watch your video and then the moment that it finishes, they forget what they just watched. But there are people out there who actually care about what you're doing and they're getting value out of it. And uh, they represent that value in the fact that they're happy to sign up as full members. That certainly does mean a lot to me. So I'll be reading out more names at the end of the show. So just summarizing that point then, for those of you who weren't already aware, uh, Winton is happening again in a couple of weeks. I'll be heading off for another trip, this time on my own, unless, of course, I mean, I've been trying to peer pressure Gino into taking a week off work to come with me, but uh, he says that he's too busy, so it's going to be a, a solo trip this time, from what I can tell. But if anyone's out there who's interested in being part of the part of the trip, I'm hiring a car with more than one seat. There'll be an empty seat there, so if you want to come along and be the cameraman on, uh, on this film, on this feature-length film that I'm putting together, Now's your chance, get in contact with me. That probably won't happen though due to the late notice. So it will be a, a solo effort and it will be my first ever feature length film on a topic that almost nobody has actually covered with any real uh, academic rigor. So I'm looking forward to it and members of johnthebond.com will get access to it. And again, I've made the videos from the first trip, which were originally just for full members. I've made those available to uh, free members as well. So if you want to check out what the result was from the first trip, just go to johnthebond.com and check it out for yourself. So that is the update on the dinosaur documentary. And again, a big thanks to those four people that I named. Just once again, Miss Ali, Big Dave, Dante from New York, and of course, John Shaw. You four guys have, uh, well, I mean, you've changed my life, haven't you? Because I'm meant to be doing something very different right now to what I'm uh, actually doing. I'm back in pre-production mode for a film when what I'm supposed to be doing is moving interstate and uh, getting myself a new job and saving some more cash. So uh, this has thrown a little curveball into my plans, but I'm glad that it has because uh, if I can get this film out of the way, I'll have one of those things uh, ticked off the box, uh, the checkbox ticked off, if you like. Uh, I'd love to have a feature-length film done by the time I'm 30. And so now it looks like that will actually happen, thanks largely to you four. So a huge thanks to all of you once again. So moving on to the next topic then, and I wanted to talk about ah, Gustave Le Bon. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard the name Gustave Le Bon, uh, but how many of you are familiar with his work? He wrote a book about 100 years ago now, called Crowd Psychology. He wrote it in French. So it was actually, um, I think, Psychology du Fol. I don't know how to pronounce French. I'm not French, but uh, yeah, it, it translates to uh, the psychology of crowds. Now, we're all familiar with psychology, this idea of analyzing or studying uh, the way that people's minds work, right? But a lot of psychological uh, work, at least at first, was done on the individual. How does the individual work? You know, what are the patterns in thinking with uh, individuals? What are some of the patterns that we notice that uh, one individual has to the next? And, you know, what can we identify about relationships between their certain thinking patterns? These sorts of things. But it was people like Gustave Le Bon who came along and said, well, how about groups of people? What happens when you take a, a whole group of people, put them together? How does that change their behavior as individuals? And how is the behavior of a group of people different to the constituent members of the group? We call it crowd psychology. And uh, he did pioneer the field, Gustave Le Bon, and then other people came behind him. And then basically it turned into a field of, of, uh, of inquiry all of itself. 
Well, I've been putting together a paper on the topic of crowd psychology, and the purpose of it is to give people an idea of what I think is one way of explaining why so many people today who seem so intelligent, I mean, many of the people that we deal with, our friends and our family and people we work with, so many of them seem so intelligent in one way or another. They're really good at what they do at work or they, um, they have particular hobbies that they seem like they're very talented at or there's a certain topic that they're very knowledgeable with or when they're discussing certain issues, they seem so smart and so aware. But then when it comes to other things, they just seem completely hopeless and unable to put together a single cogent thought. And again, I'll use that example of somebody missing both legs. How can someone who's so intelligent, they're good at their job, they work in a, a profession with uh, some social status, they work as a, a lawyer or they've, they're doing their PhD at university or you guys can think of examples in your life, people who are so intelligent in one way or another, you can show them a photo of a guy whose legs got blown off eight minutes ago, but he's still conscious. Like not only is he alive, but he's still conscious and he's received no actual proper first aid. He's, he's still conscious eight minutes after both of his legs were blown off, like at the knee. How, like how can you not see that this is, that what we're told about this is fake. Like how come you can't see that? And their eyes just gloss over. Well, one of the things I've been doing in my time in this, involved one way or another, uh, in this little fringe group on the internet is studying people, studying people within the group, studying people in my real life, talking to them about these things and saying, well, you know, surely you can see and trying to understand humans better, trying to understand myself better, trying to understand people better. And uh, I've come to the uh, conclusion, I've come to the position now that one of the major reasons why people who are otherwise intelligent can't see through the deception, some of these really basic deceptions, like uh, the Boston bombings or whatever, has to do with the effect of crowd psychology. So I want to share with you guys tonight some quotes that I took. I went back and reread Crowd Psychology by Gustave Le Bon recently in, in lieu or I'll put this. In order to put together this paper, I had to go back and read some some texts that I read a long time ago. And this is one of the ones I wanted to read. It was the Crowd Psychology by Gustave Le Bon. I want to share with you guys some quotes from the book in the hope of inspiring you to go and read the book for yourself because there's nothing that I can say that'll be uh, more insightful about the book than the book itself. And it's only 120 pages. So, I mean, if you are too busy to read a book that might uh, sort of give you insight into the human condition and maybe give you some answers that you've been looking for, if you're too busy to read a book that's 120 pages long, I would suggest that you're not really interested in the truth to begin with. You're not really interested in learning about the world in the same way that I am. That doesn't make you a bad person. It might just mean that you just, you're just here casually because you're prefer to listen to me than to watch TV. That's perfectly fine. We've all got our different motivations. But I think there's some of you out there when I read these quotes to you, it might actually encourage you to go and read the book for yourself. And uh, and it might it might help you and you might get different insights from the book that you can share with me and it might become a collaborative thing. Who knows? We can give it a try. So let me read to you guys some quotes from the book. Again, this is from Crowd Psychology by Gustave Le Bon, which you can access completely for free on the internet. I'll put a link to it in the info box below uh, this uh, this post on my website, I guess and you can check it out for yourself. But just type in Gustave Le Bon Crowd Psychology, it will come up. Let's read through some of these quotes and uh, we'll see what you have to say about it. Quote, in certain cases, there is more truth in the unreal than in the real end quote. Now that particular one might not make sense. You have to read the context of what he's saying. What he's talking about is the way that the subjective truth, what somebody believes to be real, as opposed to what's actually real, that's more real to them than the objective truth. So if someone has been deceived about something, in their existence, in their reality, that's actually more real to them. That's more true to them 
than the objective truth. And we need to bear this in mind when we're talking to someone who we might feel is deceived. You might know for certain that they're deceived. You might have evidence that you think any sane objective person will come to the same conclusion as you. But we always need to bear in mind that to the person that we're speaking to who disagrees with us, in their mind, they've got the truth and you don't. And it's just as real to them as what you think is real to you. It's That's their experience. So if they've come to the belief that the news is reliable, it doesn't matter what evidence you give them that they're lying. Their belief is much stronger than any of your evidence. All of your evidence put together, much stronger, much, much stronger. Another one, quote, the decisions affecting matters of general interest come to by an assembly of men of distinction, but specialists in different walks of life are not sensibly superior to the decisions that will be adopted by a gathering of imbeciles, end quote. And so what he's saying here is that you can take a whole bunch of smart people, you can take a, a very well-trained and successful lawyer and a well-trained and successful doctor and a teacher and a police officer and a postman. You can take a whole bunch of people who are smart in their own way and good at their own jobs or whatever, put them together in a group and the decisions that they come to are not necessarily any better than taking together a group of imbeciles, of fools, of people of low intelligence. Now, you might say, well, how can that be? Surely if you had uh, 10 or 20 people who were eminent in their profession, surely they would make a better group decision than a, than a group of imbeciles. And I think a lot of us do believe that. We think, well, you know, the, the wisdom of the crowd is a function of the wisdom of the constituent individuals. And that seems like a natural thing to believe. However, when you actually study crowds and what they tend to do, you start to realize that, in fact, it doesn't work like that at all. Rather than the uh, intelligence of each individual forming the intelligence of the crowd, it's actually the stupidity of each individual that informs the stupidity of the crowd. It's almost like the crowd goes down to the lowest common denominator. It's almost like that. It's a phenomenon of crowds. And again, you have to read the book in full to get a better understanding of, of what Gustave Le Bon is saying. But the basic, the basic premise or the basic narrative that he's trying to, to put together in, in his book is this idea that instead of just assuming that smart people make smart crowds or that intelligent people, when put together, will make intelligent decisions, instead of just assuming that, why don't we think about this a bit further? Let's look at some evidence from history or from contemporary times to see if that's actually what happens. And it turns out that it does not. It turns out that people, once they're put into a crowd, tend to act like damn fools. It just seems to be this thing that they do. I'll give you another quote now. Quote, the improbable does not exist for a crowd and it is necessary to bear this circumstance well in mind to understand the facility with which are created and propagated the most improbable legends and stories, end quote. So what he's saying is that the improbable does not exist for a crowd. So for someone on their own in isolation, you show them something that seems ridiculous, there's a good chance that they'll say, but that's, that seems ridiculous. The moment you put that person into a crowd and show them the same ridiculous thing, there's a very good chance they're going to go along with it so long as the crowd does. Now, one of the things that Gustave Le Bon explains in his work is that a crowd doesn't have to necessarily be a group of people all in the one physical place. They don't have to all be there together at the same time. The effects of crowd psychology can work even in seemingly disparate communities. So say, for instance, a whole bunch of people who happen to believe television and get their news on a regular basis, be it hourly or daily or even weekly from a central source like the television, in a way they constitute their own crowd. In a way, they share a common belief or a common element that leads to them adopting or showing some of the same symptoms 
of any other regular crowd. And so if you were to take someone from the TV crowd, the TV believing crowd, where everyone who watches the TV takes what they're told on face value, then even when you have that person isolated or seemingly isolated from the crowd, still they're going to show behavior that's like the crowd. And so in the case of the Boston bombings, a guy lost his leg after eight minutes. He's still conscious. He's still sitting up. That person is already familiar with the story of the Boston bombings. They already believe that story to be real or they already trust the news to be real. When you tell them, look at this thing from the news, we've got this image of this guy, Bowman, missing both legs. They're not looking at this event in isolation. They're looking at it as a member of the crowd and to the crowd. There's no improbable. It's not improbable that a man could live like that. It's just, that's just what happened. It's much easier to deceive a crowd than it is to deceive an individual and an individual who identifies with or is part of a crowd in one way or another. They're just as easy to fool as the crowd. These are some of the insights that you might glean from Gustave Le Bon's work. Now, I'm not saying that his work is perfect. There's many things in there with which I disagree. But if you want to expand your understanding of the world, you don't just seek out sources that agree with you. You just seek out sources that might be worth your time. They might be worth it because they make a few points that are good. They make a few points that are bad. And you can sort of think through why those points are bad and maybe get a better understanding of a different point of view and these kinds of things. There's no sense in just seeking out things that already agree with you unless you're one of those people who base their beliefs on emotion and then go and seek out the evidence. But if you're someone who wants to base your opinion on evidence, you go and look at the evidence provided by people like Gustave Le Bon, by other people, look at their evidence and inspect it for yourself. Is that a good example? Is that a good premise? Is that a good logical form of argument? Is what you're presenting something that is actually uh, worth merit, worth time? Is it actually something that could inform me when I deal with the world around me? And these are the kind of decisions that you can only make when you look at the evidence for yourself. So for me personally, this uh, Crowd Psychology by Gustave Le Bon, plenty of stuff in there that makes sense to me. Plenty of his arguments seem to me to be quite logically valid. But there are other things that I don't necessarily agree with, but still, from taking the time to go back and reread this text, as I did recently, and when I read a text, even a 120-page uh, book takes me many hours because I'm taking notes as I do it and I'm double-checking things and what have you, it was still worth every minute of my time that I did, even though there were many parts that I disagreed with. Because overall, there were things in there that were good, there were things that were, that were bad, but it was by me thinking through each argument as it was presented that I got benefit out of it. And I'm suggesting to you, you might do the same thing. And again, I'll reiterate, the reason why I think the works of people like Gustave Le Bon could be useful is because they might give us insight into understanding why people around us who are intelligent in, in so many ways, or they seem it, can seem so hopelessly stupid in other ways. What is it that's causing that? Well, possibly one factor has to do with what we call crowd psychology. Possibly, I, I could be wrong. I could have misinterpreted uh, Gustav's work or maybe I'm, I'm giving it too much credit. Maybe. Maybe I'm not giving it enough credit. Who knows? Only you can make that uh, decision for yourself, but you can only make that decision fairly once you've taken the time to inspect the work for yourself. I'll give you a couple more quotes and then we'll move on to the next topic. Quote, works of history must be considered as works of pure imagination. Are we in possession of a single word of truth concerning the lives of the great men who have played preponderating parts in the history of humanity, men such as Hercules, Buddha, or Muhammad? In all probability, we are not, end quote. And so what he's talking about there is history. How legitimate is history? He uses the examples of Hercules, so like the ancient Greek mythology, uh, Buddha, so I guess Eastern religion or Eastern philosophy, some of their great figures, or Muhammad, so one of these um, Judeo-Christian or what do you call those three religions? The name is Abrahamic, the Abrahamic religions, a great figure from the Abrahamic religions. 
Are we in possession of a single fact concerning these people? Uh, Gustave Le Bon says, in all probability, no, we're not. And uh, he goes on to list his reasons why he thinks that's the case. And again, I recommend you check it out for yourself. But basically what he's saying is that because it takes so few people to deceive so many, and because the masses want to believe stories, they're excited by great stories. When we look at some of these great figures, would they have been more likely to have been believed by the masses? Were they regular people? Or would they have been more likely to have been believed by the masses if they were these great people who achieved great things? Well, he goes on to explain that the masses, not only is there no such thing as improbable to them, but they tend to only be excited by or believe in the amazing, the extraordinary. So if you look at some of these figures that are extraordinary from history, does it make more sense to infer that they were real or to infer that they were stories that were propagated? And then he also talks about the actual historical evidence, who's recording the historical evidence, these kinds of things. He, he goes on to, in a broader sense, talk about, well, why do people believe these sources? What is it that leads them to believe these sources in the first place? These are the kinds of things that you'll find if you go and read this book, uh, Crowd Psychology by Gustave Le Bon. I'll read you a couple more and then we'll move on. Quote, were it possible to induce the masses to adopt atheism, this belief would exhibit all the intolerant ardour of a religious sentiment and in its exterior forms would soon become a cult. End quote. This one's worth repeating a second time. So I'll read it again. Quote, were it possible to induce the masses to adopt atheism, this belief would exhibit all the intolerant ardour of a religious sentiment and in its exterior forms would soon become a cult, end quote. Again, this is from 100 years ago. So this is well and truly before atheism as we know it today had become as prevalent as it is or as uh, this is well before the disbelief in God, the lack of faith, people stopping going to churches. This is well before then. This is back when uh, religion was still a dominant part of society. And he was saying if atheism ever became big, it'd be just like a cult. Well, what do you know? That's exactly what has happened. You look at the way that people like Richard Dawkins and so many of his acolytes now in high schools and universities are uh, parading around and trying to convert people to atheism and denouncing anyone who uh, still has faith in God and claiming that science has all the answers, all the truth. So, you know, science going to bring in utopia and thanks to science, the world's getting better and all this utterly ridiculous nonsense. Well, what Gustave Le Bon is saying is that because those people are in a crowd, it makes them behave differently to what they would as individuals. And as a crowd, they feel so powerful. And so whether it's uh, what a more regular religion, like a Christian sect, or whether it's atheism, get these people in a crowd and they will behave differently and they will behave just like a cult. And we have seen that bear out. We've seen history bear that out. Gustave Le Bon's prediction that if atheism became big, it would behave just like a cult. That's exactly what's happened. That's another example of the kind of thing that I'm talking about here. This guy writing 100 years ago, he seemed to have some insights that might be useful to us. Now, just give me a second. I'm going to get a glass of water here. The voice is just going on me. It's been a little while since I've done a live show, so I need to remember to drink a glass of water every uh, 20 or 30 minutes. So, yeah, so I'll read you one more quote and then we'll move on. I haven't been watching the live chat because I've got my other computer on my Word document with all of these quotes, so I will get to the live chat in just a moment. He says, quote, The masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to diify error if error seduce them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim, end quote. Now, this is the kind of sentiment that's been echoed by many people 
throughout time. And I agree with it 100%. People want to believe in things. And so if you give them something to believe in, they'll love you, especially if you give them something amazing to believe in. Like, oh, we're part of a truth movement and we're going to change the world and, you know, we're going to bust this hoax and we're going to bring down the system and everything's going to be better. Or if you look at the flat earth charlatans, we've got the flat earth truth and this is going to be what brings down the system and soon the whole world will believe that we live on a flat earth and this is going to open up a, a dawn of understanding that we're special and all this kind of crap. Exact same thing. You give people that and they'll love you because like, they want something big to believe in. The masses want to believe in big things. If you come along and say, actually, there's no evidence for any of that. In fact, the, the evidence contradicts all of that and a lot of your arguments are logically fallacious. They don't actually follow their non sequiturs. The masses don't want that. There'll be a tiny percentage of people who are actually looking for valid logical arguments. They're looking for things that are based on truth. They're looking for sense and for reason. But they're a very tiny fraction of the audience. The broader audience, the broader masses, they want something to believe in. And so they're the people that they love. If you can give them illusions to believe in, they'll love you and they'll work for you and they'll pay taxes and they'll build the roads and they'll have more children and the children will do the same thing and they'll love their government. If the government, or and I'm using the term government broadly here, if the people who run the show can give the masses illusions to believe in, they'll love them. Meanwhile, people like myself who come along and say, yeah, I'm not so sure about this uh, this man on the moon business. Have you looked at the footage? Or, yeah, I'm not really so sure about this uh, putting men on Mars business. I mean, uh, have you... Have you done the mathematics on, on any of this and, and really thought about the, the risks that would be involved? I mean, you know, if you come along and just get people to try and think about what they're being told, uh, no, they don't want that. They want illusions to believe in. And uh, whether it's the space race or the news telling them the truth, the Boston bombings and any of this kind of thing, no, the masses don't want that. The masses don't thirst for truth. They thirst for illusions. So that's just a little selection of quotes from Gustave Le Bon. Like I said, I am working on a paper that uses this piece as, I guess, uh, a center point of the paper, just talking about some of my, some of the things that I've gleaned from what I've read and what I've studied and what I've observed with my own eyes, dealing with people both online and in real life, the way that people work, the way that their beliefs work. And I've spent a fair bit of time on that paper, probably another couple of days before I've got a draft ready to go. I'll send that to a couple of friends, get them just to read through it for me and uh, see if there's any, uh, you know, additions they think I should make or um, spelling errors or whatever. And then once I've got it good to go, I'll release that on the website. And uh, yeah, hopefully those of you, again, the, mon the very small minority of you who are here to actually learn things and to change your opinions based on new evidence, I think you'll get a lot out of it. The broader audience, the, the masses, uh, you well, I know you won't even read the paper anyway, but even if you did, it'd mean nothing to you because what you want is entertainment. And uh, there's not really much that's very entertaining about reading things and thinking about them. It's far more fun to, uh, to just watch videos that support what you already believe, which is why you are part of the masses. And it's why... The masses are the way they are, and uh, people have known about this for a long, long time. So that's Gustave Le Bon. So it's been quite a show. We're coming towards the end of it now. I will read out some of your live comments in a moment. Thank you for bearing with me as my voice has gone a couple of times tonight during the chat and uh, also just uh, struggling to get through a show by myself. Again, it's been a little while, and uh, yeah, it does. It's something that where you, when you're in practice doing the live shows, it all comes a lot more naturally, but when you're not in practice, you forget you need to slow down on certain words or need to have a glass of water every now and then so that the uh, the old voice box can keep ticking over. But uh, overall, I've enjoyed the show so far. I hope you have as well. So we had Juno. We talked about Melbourne. We spent a little bit of time talking about the Pizzagate story. Then I gave an update on the Dinosaur News. Talked a little bit about my main man, Gustave Le Bon. And again, 
the paper will be done in a couple of days' time. But before then, you can just go and read Crowd Psychology for yourself. Available completely for free. So many insights in that book. Strongly recommend you do that. And uh, 9-11. Now, I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about 9-11 because I've been doing some research into, I guess, another line of inquiry with 9-11 recently. Now, many of you will say, oh, but we already know what happened on 9-11. We know it was an inside job and Bush did it or... The Jews did it, or the Zionists did it, or Israel did it, or the Illuminati did it, or whatever. Whatever. I know many of you, uh, you, you, you go on. It's, it's all over for you. Then there are people in the audience who are more to my way of thinking. They're like, well, it's not so much who did it. It's more what actually happened that day. Uh, were there planes that day? Of course, I say no. There were no planes that day. The video footage that we were given is utterly ridiculous. And uh, I even go so far as to say that uh, based on the Vixim report, the good work done by the people at Clues Forum, I don't really believe anyone even died on 9-11 anymore. And a lot of people are like, what? Of course people died. Bush did it. The Zionists did it. They killed thousands of people. I'm like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't actually believe anyone died. They might have. I don't know. I don't know if someone died. If I saw evidence that they did die, I'd be like, yep, yeah, someone died. But I've looked for the evidence and I haven't found any that anybody died that day. So, uh, so yeah, I don't believe there were planes. I don't believe anyone died. I believe it was a made-for-TV movie and uh, it was just portrayed as real and the amazing power of television is that you can put something on TV and unless you explicitly tell people that it's not real, they seem to just assume that it's real. So they were able to put on TV uh, planes flying into buildings. And you've got to remember too, guys, like the air down here at sea level is a lot thicker than the air up at cruising altitude. In fact, last I checked, it's something like three times as dense the air down here than up there. Something like that. I should look this up actually, but it's something like that, right? So... If you imagine that the air, the, the atmosphere, if you like, it, okay, it's, it's not as dense as water, but when uh, objects are traveling at a certain speed, it has many characteristics as uh, an object's going through water at that speed because that's kind of what air is. It's kind of like a less dense liquid, right? You've got solids, liquids, and gases. Gases, in many respects, are just like a less dense liquid, right? And that's how planes get lift. As planes are flying through the air, the basic idea is that at a certain speed, uh, depending on the, the wings and the shape of the wings and the area of the wings or what have you, at a certain speed, the, the plane starts getting lift and going up, you see. It becomes effectively uh, less, less heavy than the air around it, right? Now, without getting into the physics of the Bernoulli principle or what have you, I'm sure we can all get our heads around this basic idea of at a certain speed, the air starts to behave uh, in a similar fashion to what the liquid does, or the object in the air behaves in a way that's similar to what objects in liquids do. And of course, the faster you're traveling through a liquid, uh, the more stress it puts on, on the object, right? Uh, so it is with the air. The faster the plane is traveling through the air, the more stress that it is putting on the plane, on the wings, etc. right? Now, if it is the case that air is more dense down at uh, sea level, at our altitude, than it is up uh, higher up at cruising altitude, then obviously the way that planes behave at the different altitudes will differ as well. So far, this is a very logically sound thing. I mean, it's, it, I should this should be very logical, even if I'm not quite articulating myself uh, as fluently as I might like to. I'm sure the basic logic, you're following me here, more dense down here, less dense up there. Plane traveling through the air, therefore, will behave differently at the different uh, altitudes especially when it comes to things like speed. Now, what speed were the planes traveling at when they plowed into WTC 1 and 2? What, what speed were they traveling at? Is it actually physically possible for planes to travel at that speed at 
at sea level at, at this altitude down here. Is, it, is that really physically possible? How many people have looked into that? If it is physically possible for a plane to travel at that speed without disintegrating, okay then, is that plane controllable at that speed at this altitude? I'm not sure if you can hear the train in the background. The new place that I'm staying at the moment, very close to a train station, can be frustrating. So if that's coming through on the mic, uh, please forgive me. But yeah, anyway, so how many people have spent the time thinking, A, can a plane actually travel at that speed, at that altitude? And B, if it can, is it controllable at that speed, at this altitude? These are things that are worth looking into. For me, that was one of the big things that did it for me when it comes to planes. It's like, yeah, is it even physically possible for this story to have happened? Putting aside the ridiculous video footage that is obviously fake, would it even be possible to, uh, to fly a plane at that altitude, at that speed, uh, and control it into a tower, even if you had the best pilot in the world. Would that really be possible? Yeah, I'm not so sure. So if the whole no planes thing is new to you, go and look into these things, I recommend it. But I'm sure many of you are on the same page as me. The idea of uh, of planes on 9-11 is just ridiculous. And then, yeah, as for people dying, of course they killed people. They These people, they don't care about us. They would kill us. And it's like, yeah, well, maybe they don't care about us. But still, uh, most people are, are pretty sensible when it comes to doing things. If you can do things the easy way or the hard way, do you do it the easy way or the hard way? Well, if you want to bring down the towers and convince people that thousands of people died, you don't have to kill thousands of people. You can just bring the towers down and tell them that thousands of people died and they will believe you. And then if you were to kill people, then you've got a problem where most people have friends or family who will be like, I can't believe this person died. I want answers. And, you know, then they push for investigations, proper investigations, and they, they can cause a problem for whoever's pulled off the who's ever perpetrated the thing. And you can just avoid all of that by having no real people involved. You know what I mean? Like if you're making a movie, you can just have people pretend to be dead and uh, you can just tell people that someone's died and that's the movie. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't actually kill people, right? You don't kill actors to make a movie. Well, that's all 9-11 was. It was just a movie where they told people it was real. So if they don't have to kill people, why would they? You know what I mean? And there's, there's just no need for it. And then, then you got to think of the perpetrators as well. Like, you know, if you actually wanted to kill 3,000 people, could have pay someone to do that and i mean you know i don't know how much a hit goes for these days what 10 20 grand how much does it cost to get someone to go and kill someone these days i don't know i've got no idea but you know if you want to kill someone to kill thousands of people you've either got to have a lot of um truly psychotic people ready to go and able to pull it off and and not you know not um not give the game away or not get caught or whatever which i, I guess they probably could do but it'd be a lot easier just to not have any people need to die then you don't need anyone to kill them. So it'd be much easier if you wanted to convince the world or just the, the people who watch TVs, which I guess is most of the world these days, that 3,000 people have died. You, I guess you probably could pull it off by, you know, paying people to kill 3,000 people and then just sweeping it all under the rug and sort of dealing with the families. And I mean, you probably could, but it'd be a lot of effort when instead you could just have some prefab videos ready to roll at a certain time, roll the videos, let the dumb, ignorant masses believe that it's real, and then bang, Bob's your uncle. Movie's finished. So, so, so much easier than than uh, using planes. Even if the planes are physically possible, still, it's a lot of effort and you, you need to make sure that people get it right and ah, just put a movie on TV, tell people it's real and they'll believe it. It's just, it's like, it's not even, it's not even uh, a little bit easier. You know, it's infinitely easier to just put a movie on TV and tell people it's real than actually fly planes and kill people. To me, it's all obvious. To me, it's so obvious now. But uh, I remember back when all of this was like, no way, man. This, you know, this this is just a distraction. It's to make the truth movement look stupid. People who talk about no planes, they're here to make us look stupid. And it's like, man, look stupid to who? Okay, firstly, there is no truth movement. And secondly, even if there was, the masses don't care. 
Okay, it doesn't matter what you tell them. If it's different to what Tevi tells them, they really think you're crazy, okay? So I don't know what you're worried about, but yeah, there's no truth movement and no one's making it look stupid other than the people who get emotional and talk about the truth movement like it's this real thing that's going to change the world. That looks stupid, but, uh, but no, planes and, uh, and dead people in 9-11, it's possible, man. I, I could be convinced. I could be, but I've looked at the evidence and uh, yeah, to me, the whole thing is just a made-for-TV movie. Very, very obviously fake. And uh, I do, I have thanked publicly in the past Simon Shack of September Clues and uh, his mate Hoy Poloi who put together the Vic, uh, the Vic Sim report. I'm not their biggest fans. You know, I've, they've had some uh, pretty choice words to say about me in the past. And I think they've even implied that I'm a government shield and all the rest of it, all the nonsense that so many people seem to believe. But uh, so yeah, I'm not here to pump up their tires. But in that particular case, uh, September Clues and the Vic Sim report, they're very useful. If you haven't seen them, I recommend you go and check them out. So it's a 9 11, right? Sure, whether you think it was a real event where people died, Alex Jones style, or you uh, you just think it was a made-for-TV movie that fooled a lot of people, uh, regardless of what you think about those two things, I think that something that most of us can agree on is this idea that there seems to have been clues that were put there or hints or forewarnings or revelations or something. There's a lot of coincidences involved in 9-11. It's, uh, it's amazing, right? We've all seen the Simpsons clips you know, with the 9-11 New York. We've seen, say, the film The Matrix where Neo's, uh, what is it, his license says that um, he died. No, what is it? The expiry of his license is on 9-11 and all of the clocks in Superman and in so many other shows that point to 9-11. We've seen David Rockefeller uh, himself, pardon me, on the front page of a, of a magazine, uh, David Rockefeller who helped get these buildings built supposedly where on the front page of a magazine, his watch is pointing to the 9 and the 11. I'm sure we've all seen that. And uh, the thing is, it's very easy for people to write these off as coincidences, right? You're never going to convince a normie that 9-11 was an inside job or that it was fake based on these 9s and 11s in clocks. It's just never going to happen. I'm sorry, but it just doesn't work that way. However, there is more to it than all of that. Now, what I might do is I might see if I can screen share with you right now the uh, album cover for a Super Tramp album. Now, some of you will say, oh, I already know about this Super Tramp album and all the rest of it. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm suggesting that even on the superficial level, there's um, there's some hints there, but maybe it goes even deeper. Maybe I've uncovered a link that other people haven't actually uncovered yet. And I'm going to share some of it with you right now. So let me just look up uh, Super Tramp Breakfast in America. And what you can do is if you're listening to this in MP3 format, if you're listening live, you want to check this out for yourself. Look up Breakfast in America uh, by Supertramp. Just look up the um, the album artwork. You'll see it pretty quickly. I'll just go to images now and I'll bring this up for you. Don't worry if you are listening on MP3 and you're in the car or something, you can't see it. I'll describe it to you if you're not already familiar with it. And for those of you who are familiar with it, just relax. I'll get to where I'm going with this in a moment. Don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll get there. So this is a Supertramp artwork, and I'll, um, I'll see if I can screen share this now for the live viewers. And again, I will read out your comments in a moment. I'm sorry that's taken me a little while to get to your comments, but I will, I promise. It's always difficult when you're doing these shows by yourself, you see. So let's have a look. Present to everyone. So that should be coming through. Is that not with there? Yep. There we go. All right. So I'll just get the live chat going as well. Just so if there's any technical problems, they can tell me. We're still there, guys. Just let me know in the live chat if the audio is coming through all right, because without another person doing the show, if there are technical issues, there's no way for me to know that. So please let me know, guys, in the live chat if the audio is coming through all right. But here we go. This is the Super Tramp album cover. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you won't be. And this is to the album Breakfast in America, which was released in 1979. 
So as you can see there, we are looking through the portal of a plane. So most of you guys have flown in a plane. You know what it looks like when you look outside the window. This is clearly from the perspective of someone looking out the window. And what do you see? You see the New York skyline, and in particular, the Twin Towers. Now in the foreground, you've got the uh, lady uh, resembling a Statue of Liberty. It's, a, I guess, a lady who works at a diner or something like that. And um, I'm not sure how many countries have diners, but to many of us outside of America, we associate the concept of a diner and you know women dressed like this with America. And I think that might be part of the reason why she's in this dress, because of course the album is called Breakfast in America. And she's holding up a glass of orange juice. We associate orange juice with breakfast. So that makes perfect sense, all on just a service level. So far, a lot of this makes sense. You've got the lady resembling the Statue of Liberty holding up the glass of orange juice. But of course, the glass of orange juice is right in front of the Twin Towers. And the orange juice represents the flame. So if you think of the Statue of Liberty, she's holding that flame. The orange resembles or is there to symbolize or represent the flame. And, and this isn't this is an, an esoteric um, interpretation of the image. This is straight up what, like this is a, a service level. Anyone can understand what I'm saying. That's, that's actually what's happening in this image. There's no esoteric um, sort of insights that I've offered you about this yet. I'm just describing it for the benefit of people who can't uh, otherwise see it. So we've got the Statue of Liberty represented by a lady who uh, looks like she's dressed up to go to uh, to work in a, in a diner or she's working in a diner. The orange juice glass is in front of the Twin Towers and you've got the New York skyline there as well. And you're looking through the portal or the, the window, I guess, of a uh, of a plane. What's the official term for the window of a plane? Just a plane window, portal, window, whatever, whatever it is. That's what you're looking at. And so you've got that New York skyline there. Now, if you look at the Supertramp name on the album, you've got the U is behind one of the towers and the P is behind another of the towers. Now, if you were to reverse that image, you would have a very obvious 9-11 because the bottom of the U uh, is obstructed. So instead of the loop U, you've just got two lines. So there's your 11. And then with the P, you reverse a straight P or a P in that font and you end up with a nine. So you've got, by complete coincidence, of course, you've got the Twin Towers in front of the name Supertramp reversed. It's a very obvious 9-11. And you've got the orange juice representing a plane, uh, sorry, representing a flame right in front of the Twin Towers. So where the Twin Towers were impacted by the planes, you've got a flame and the towers are in front of a nine and an 11. If you just reverse the image, and you're looking through the window of a plane. So this is a lot of amazing coincidences, of course. And to most people, they'd say, well, these are just coincidences, and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not even saying that they're wrong. They could be right. This could all be just a coincidence. If we look at the lady representing the, um, the diner lady, the, the Statue of Liberty, if you like, if you look at the expression on her face, what does that expression, how would you subjectively interpret that expression? Obviously, this is a subjective thing. Different people will give you different answers. I showed this image to uh, to a normie friend of mine, uh, someone who would never ever contemplate the idea that this could be more than coincidence. And he said that the uh, impression that he got from this lady was that she knows a secret. He's like, that's the kind of look you'd expect someone who knows a, a dark secret. In fact, he said, it looks like she knows you're about to die in a plane crash. And I was like, that's, that's a very interesting interpretation from someone who would never read further into this than mere coincidence. So just going through those quick list of coincidences there, you've got the uh, New York skyline, you've got the Twin Towers, the flame in front of the Twin Towers, the Twin Towers in front of the U and the P, which form an obvious 
9-11. You're looking through the uh, window of a plane and the Statue of Liberty is looking at you like she knows something that you don't. Very interesting artwork indeed. Now, many of you are saying, yeah, I already know this one. I already know this one. I've seen this one before. Yep, yep. Okay, you probably have. This album was entitled Breakfast in America and it was released in 1979. But in 1974, the same band Supertramp released, uh, in many ways, their breakthrough album and that was entitled Crime of the Century. Now, I'm not much of a singer, but uh, hey, it's late on a Tuesday night. I've had two big coffees today and I'm still feeling a little bit hyped up by it. So why don't I give you a, a few lines from the song uh, and some of you might already know this one but some of you won't it might come to you when you hear it others of you the lines of the song crime of the century from the album crime of the century are as thus now they're playing should i sing should i not sing in the live chat i'm gonna give you a chance right now should i sing the first three responses yes or no is going to dictate what i do all right should i sing crime of the century the first few lines first answer says please don't <laughs> We're one and zero. Probably shouldn't. I'm not much of a singer. Uh, oh, we've got a one. It's one all now. Don't sing. Don't sing. Nah. Sorry, guys. No singing. So I'll just. <laughs> it's like five one. Wow. Uh, that's uh, that's crushing. Yeah, it's crushing, guys. All right. So I'll tell you the, the lyrics of the song. So it goes. Uh, so now they're planning the crime of the century. Oh, what will it be? Read all about their. What is it? Read all about their something and something. It's well worth the fee. I should have brought... Thank God I didn't sing that, guys. That would have been embarrassing. Read all about their... Is it schemes and adventures? Let's look it up, guys. Lyrics of crime of the century. You know this one off by heart. Now they're planning the crime of the century. What will it be? Read all about their schemes and adventuring. See, I was right. It's well worth a fee. So roll up and see and they rape the universe, how they've gone from bad to worse. Who are these men of lust, greed, and glory? Rip off their masks. It's just you and me. All right? Now, you might say, well, these are just lyrics of a song, of a band. Why do I care? And maybe you don't care. What I want to make clear with all of my work now and into the future is I'm not saying that you should care because I don't care if you care. I'm simply putting to you what I've found and some of the links that I've made things that are relevant to me from my perspective on the world, they might be useful to you. And if you can see any logical flaws in what I'm saying, you can help me by pointing those out. So Crime of the Century, which was the album that came out a few years before Breakfast in America, one of the main songs is called Crime of the Century. And uh, they're talking about now there. Now who's, who's there? Now they're planning the crime of the century. Well, what will it be? Read all about their schemes and adventuring. Yes, it's well worth the fee. So roll up and see how they've raped the universe, how they've gone from bad to worse. Who are these men of lust, greed, and glory? Rip off the mask and let's see. But that's not right. Oh, no. What's the story? But there's you and there's me. That can't be right. Now, this is like this is artwork, obviously. This is a song. Uh, music is uh, artistic. And you can interpret art however you like. And uh, I'm not even claiming, I'm definitely not claiming that my interpretation of this is, uh, is the objective truth or is correct. What I want to put to you, though, is this possibility that a band whose album artwork in 1979, which has a lot of coincidences, coincidences, it might not be uh, anything more than a coincidence, a lot of coincidences with what was to take place, uh, what, 22 years later, 
that maybe it's not just that album that's worth our uh, our consideration. Maybe there's other coincidences or other things that we can read into uh, their work from other albums. Now, if you were to go through the songs on Crime of the Century, go through the lyrics, song by song, look at some of the common themes that keep coming up, the common elements, etc. You might detect a few things that I have detected. Now, even if you were to do that, and I'll when I finally have this work, this research finished, I'll release a video on JohnTheBond.com because I'm only scratching the surface here. You might also find that there's more connections than just the, I guess, in the albums or the work of Supertramp. Many of you are familiar with the work of uh, of Robert Zemeckis, who made the film Back to the Future. There are a lot of coincidences about 9-11 in Back to the Future as well. Of course, Robert Zemeckis also made The Walk, The Walk being a film released in 2015 about a... Uh, a uh, tightrope walker who walked between the Twin Towers supposedly in 1974. 1974 was the year that Crime of the Century was released. It was the year that this guy did his tight walk, tightrope walk between the Twin Towers, supposedly. And he referred to his tightrope walk between the WTC 1 and 2 as the artistic crime of the century. So you've got Robert Zemeckis making Back to the Future in the, the 1980s, 1985, I think. And uh, there are many 9-11 coincidences in that film, one of them being that in the October 2015, a message that Marty McFly gives to Doc will make sense. It'll make sense they're going to October 2015. Then in October 2015, the same director makes a film entitled The Walk, amazingly, about the World Trade Center Towers, a, a man who tightrope tight walked between the Twin Towers. Uh, if you then look into the history of... That, that walk by, uh, what's his name, Philip uh, Petit, Philippe Petit. The walk was done in 1974, the same year as the Supertramp album, Crime of the Century. Supertramp being the band who in 1979 released an album with the artwork with many 9-11 coincidences. Now, this could, guys, this could all be a coincidence. I'm not saying that it's not a coincidence. But if these were all coincidences then to me, that'd be an amazing thing. But to me, that'd be far more interesting than hearing about some bombing happening in Iraq or uh, some you know new device that'll save you two cents a litre on your fuel bill or some dodgy builder or all the crap that people watch on TV on a day-to-day -day basis or some reality TV master chef or just all this nonsense that people watch several hours a day. I'd be far more interested if this were all a coincidence. I'd be like, wow, this, this really is an amazing world that we live in. Look at some of these amazing coincidences, right? If all of what I just said was a coincidence. But here's where it gets really interesting. Here's where I recommend that you go and check out my website. A couple of days from now, I'll have it all done. What I've just shown you, this little loop, Zemeckis, 1985, makes Back to the Future, many 9-11 references in that. He also directs a film that's released in a date that's forewarned in Back to the Future called The Walk. In fact, the character played by uh, Gordon Levitt, Joseph Gordon Levitt, I think his name is, He's wearing the same clothes as Marty McFly, the black jacket, red top, and the jeans. We, it could be a coincidence, but when it comes to filmmaking, most filmmaker, most directors, most good directors, what they're doing is intentional. So I don't think you can call that one a coincidence, that there's a, a character who looks like Marty McFly in a film made by the same filmmaker that was released at a date that was forewarned in the first film. Don't think you can call that a coincidence. That part, I think, is pretty solid. But then in The Walk, that's based on a guy who did his walk in 1974, 1974, the crime of the century. He refers to his walk as the crime of the century. Crime of the century by the same band who five years later released album artwork depicting 9-11, uh, basically, 
by complete coincidence. To me, that's amazing. And uh, again, that's the tip of the iceberg. It goes way further than that. That's the research that I've been working on for the last couple of days. Now, you might say, hold on, aren't you doing that dinosaur documentary? Like, shouldn't you be working on that? Yes, I'm working on that as well. But what I found is that because I put so much time into the dinosaur documentary before the first trip, I think it's easy for you to get, um, I don't want to say stale, but it's easy for your research to uh, begin to become a chore. And I find I can freshen that up by looking at something different. And so I happened to be looking into uh, this Super Tramp thing, just out of fun, like just, you know, oh yeah, the Super Tramp one there. I looked a little bit further into it and then a bit further again. And um, before long, I'd actually made a few connections that I don't think other people have made. And I'll be talking about more of those in future work, which will be on johnthebond.com. Don't expect it on YouTube. Don't expect it there. You'll have to go to johnthebond.com. Just sign up for a free membership, guys. There's plenty of free material there. I might even release this one as a free material video for you as well. But uh, it won't be for YouTube because most of the YouTube crowd to me, are um, they could watch my video. They could agree with every bit of it. Ten minutes later, ask them what they just saw. They won't remember. They're like fish. Whereas I think the kind of crowd that I'm trying to attract to the website, they might say, hey, this guy's made a few connections here. Maybe it goes further. You know, and they'll go and do their own research and see if they can find more connections. They might go and look at the lyrics of the, uh, the album themselves and see what they can find. And, uh, and again, guys, I probably should make this more clear. I'm not saying... I'm definitely not saying that Super Tramp are in on this or that um, Robert Zemeckis was in on it. I'm not, that's not what I'm suggesting, guys. I'm suggesting that there are a lot of connections here that between them seem to point to something that was, at the time, going to happen into the future. It doesn't mean that anyone has to be in on it for that to happen. It could be one of those amazing coincidences. Even if that were the case, to me, that's still fascinating. That's the kind of thing I want to talk about. If other people want to say, no, that's not a coincidence, man. This is this blatantly something going on. That's cool as well. I'm not going to argue with you. That's not the, the main thrust of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there's a lot of coincidences that I think might make us pause to reflect, well, what's really going on in this world of ours? You know, what's, what, what is really happening is, you know, whether you believe in a creator or not, is there an element to this uh, existence of ours that is beyond the material? You know, is there an element to uh, what I call the cosmos, there being this... Um, you know, I don't want to call it a force because that has certain connotations, but, you know, you go from believing that you evolved from a fish, society is thousands of years old, humans evolved over hundreds of thousands of years, you live in a giant spinning ball, uh, you're born completely by accident, and uh, the purpose of your existence is to uh, to have, have children, I guess, and to work and to accumulate material things and to die. You believe all of this crap, and then when you finally realize that that's all nonsense and there's no evidence to support any of it, and you begin to pause to think, well, what else What else is going on? You know, what else is going on in this world that we live in? Where do we live? What, what is going on here? You know, it's um, Some people just navel gaze, you know, especially people who do lots of drugs and smoke lots of weed and, you know, drop, you know, they drop acid and they think that they're getting insights from doing that. Uh, you know, and to an extent, perhaps that can be beneficial, but I think a lot of people, it just becomes like a crutch. They can just sit around all day and, and uh, be high and just think that they're being insightful when really they're not. What they could be doing is spending their time going, well, if the world isn't what I've been told it is, what is it? What, what else is going on? And I think sometimes, even if it is just coincidence that leads to the Zemeckis Back to the Future, to Zemeckis The Walk, back to Supertramp Crime of the Century, to Supertramp Breakfast in America, pardon me, even if that's all coincidence, I think that tells us something about the, the world in which we live, this existence that we have. The, what I call the, the cosmos. Maybe there is more going on than the mere material and maybe there's more to this existence than the, the basic four-dimensional 
you know, um, linear passage of time that people would have us believe. And this is the kind of stuff that I call, I call this esoteric, and I really do want to reserve this mostly for my website because um, this kind of stuff, you know, it's the morons won't understand it. They'll think that they do, and they'll go and say dumb shit, and they'll, uh, it's just it's wasted on them, you know. It's, it's pearls before swine for the, for the vast majority. So I really do try to keep this stuff mostly these days to my website. So if you're interested, go and sign up for a free membership. I recommend that you do. And uh, this video, look, it might take me a couple of days because this research, I always end up going off in different directions. I'll give you an example. Tonight when Gino gave me a call, I was uh, I was sitting there doing some research on a totally different thing, actually. I was looking into Shakespeare, right? I was, I was trying to work out how much do we actually have of Shakespeare's work in existence? And it turns out the answer is none. And I was like, okay, then, well, they must have a, an explanation of how they know what Shakespeare wrote. And, um, and you might say, well, what, is, what does Shakespeare have to do with any of this? Well, there's a song on Crime of the Century by, uh, by Supertramp, which is called Asylum, right? And so I was like, oh, yes, yeah. so I read through the lyrics of Asylum. And then I looked into, well, what, what's the official story of the meaning of this song Asylum? Because if you go through the lyrics of the song Asylum, it's basically, to me, to me, it's a guy talking about how, well, you guys call me crazy, but look at you guys, you know what I mean? You, you just talk about the same nonsense every day. I'm not crazy. Sometimes I just act it for fun, but I'm not crazy. Don't put me in an asylum. You guys are the crazy ones. That, that's how I interpreted the lyrics of that song. And I was like, hmm, what, what's the official story to this song? It's a very interesting song and a very interesting album. What's the official story? And then it turns out that the official story is that I think it was Hodgson wrote that one. He was inspired uh, to write that song um actually no that was the one that led me to look into one flew over the cuckoo's nest there was another song on the album that led me to look into the um the shakespeare work it'll come to me in a moment but the point of my story is by looking at the lyrics of the songs and then trying to work out well what's the official story of the meaning behind these uh these lyrics it led me to look into uh shakespeare that's right shakespeare um released a play what is it? Uh, oh, I should have my notes in front of me. Sorry about this, guys, but there's a, there's a song on that album where the official story is they were inspired by a work by Shakespeare. And I was like, oh, yeah, Shakespeare. I've been meaning, meaning, meaning to look into that one to see uh, where does it all go back to? You know, what, According to the official story, when does it all start? And next thing you know, I went off on this tangent looking into Shakespeare and finding out that, you know, there's only really a couple of sources who documented that he released all of his work back in the 1600s. And one of those sources... Even official history admits that he just completely made shit up. And it's like, really? So we're relying on one source, you know, for, for all of these plays. And that's the kind of thing that interests me, guys, you know. And to a lot of people, that is crazy. To a lot of people, it's like, what? You you look at the lyrics of an album that has uh, artwork that you think kind of depicts 9-11. And this is what you do with your spare time, man. That's crazy. You should be doing what we do, watching TV, believing the news and, you know, all the rest of it. And that's fine. Like, I'm like, maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe you guys are the same ones. I don't know. But... That is what I do, guys. So, uh, so yeah, so much, uh, so much to look into. So little time, and then you think about the people who they're suspicious. You know, they're suspicious that there's more going on in this world than we're told, and they sit around on their couches arguing about the earth being flat. And you think, wow, I really am dealing with a bunch of completely and utterly retarded morons. That's what most of the people in this scene really are to me. And uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I've seen enough now. I think I, I think I've seen enough. So yeah, guys. So just. Recapping that one then, 9-11, no planes, nobody died, nobody got hurt. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary. Show me the evidence and don't give me CNN news reports or anything. If you still believe CNN, then I can't really help you. 
Uh, yeah, but what can we read into 9-11? Well, if we connect some of the dots, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's something to be read into there. And uh, yeah, so much research to do. So many connections, guys. Fascinating time to be alive. So, yeah, so that's that, guys. I think it's almost time to wrap this show up. We'll go through some of the live, uh, some of the live chat comments in a moment. Let me get some more water. Stumbling over my words again. That's what I mean, guys. Once I'm in practice, I'm more professional and I slow down how I speak. But better to practice, so I'm kind of rushing through it. One of my bad habits. I need to get better at that. The CIA didn't train me properly. You know, they put me through this crash course in broadcasting and they only gave us two weeks training. Should have been four weeks, CIA. Lift your game. Good stuff. So where was I? Ah, yeah. Speak more slowly. All right. So just recapping this show then, shall we? Went through Gino. Gino says that Melbourne was real. Boy, oh boy. Wowee. And his heart goes out to the families. And uh, Gino reckons that if you uh, if you said this event was fake, you're going to discredit the whole truth community, guys. The CNN won't take the truth community seriously if truth is a saying that Melbourne was fake. So you've got to say Melbourne was real and your heart goes out to the families. Thank you very much, Gino, down there in Melbourne. Pizzagate. Pizzagate. What a red herring, guys. What a waste of time. And look how people get so emotionally invested. That's, that's the power of using child pedophilia. Like it makes people, especially women and especially dumb people, makes them invest in the story a lot more. It's like, guys, it's children. How dare you think this, this story might not be what we're told it is. And, you know, Pizzagate, boy, oh boy. You know, the, the alt-right. There's, there's people in the, in the alt-right or who read these poll boards. They know about the holo hoax. And it's like, so you know that the media and academia and government can all lie about six million and most people are so dumb that they just believe it and they get offended at you for questioning it. You know that, but you're going to believe, you're going to believe the other things the news tells you? Like you're going to believe WikiLeaks? How can you be so dumb? Like that, that's, that's beyond cognitive distance, guys. That's, uh, that's retardation, if you ask me. Just my opinion. So we talked about dinosaur news. Yes, making another trip out to Winton and uh, looking forward to that. Again, a huge thanks to the people who've made that happen. Again, I was more than happy to buy all the hardware, cost me a fortune, and to, to bankroll the, my, my half of the first trip. Lucas was happy to bankroll his half of the first trip, and he bought that, um, that uh, what do you call it, a drone, which I'll be taking. I think Lucas is in the live chat right now. Lucas, I'll be, if that's all right with you, mate, I'll be taking that little, uh, actually, this will be a funny one. Hey, Lucas, uh, now, that the, uh, now that the missus is back in town, has she found your little drone toy? Huh? What does she think about that investment, hey? <laughs> yeah, I'll be interested to know. We're due for a catch-up for a coffee, actually. In fact, Lucas, what are you doing tomorrow? We'll catch up for a coffee in the city. We'll have a chat. What do you reckon? So, yeah, and bring the drone. I'm taking it with me. Now, moving on to... Oh, yes, yeah, the dinosaur news, guys. Um, I'll be posting a little bit about that on my YouTube channel, but most of that will be... Uh, that'll be at johnlebond.com. And again, guys, just sign up for a free account. All of the material from the first trip is there. And again, it's not just like your regular YouTube nonsense of some guy just sitting there going, oh, this is fake, that's fake, blah, blah. That's not... So different to that. It was, I, look, don't want to don't want to say too much of my own work, but I was very happy with the end product in terms of the way that the time lapse, the music selection, the way that Lucas and I seemed to work well together, especially on day two. And like we interviewed a guy on night one, we interviewed a guy in uh, in Roma, five hundred k's from Brisbane, and we asked him about the dinosaurs. What do you think of dinosaurs, dude? And I mean that interview alone, I think that interview alone was worth the five hundred k trip, old Billy from Roma. So that's all available on the website. Go and check it out, johnlebon.com. Gustave Le Bon, some of the research I've been doing recently is to put together a paper that I want to release on my website into why it is that people who are otherwise so intelligent, you know, we all know people like this, who are, we've all got friends and family who are so intelligent and they are so good at what they do, whether it's their job or 
other things. But then when it comes to such simple deception, like, come on, man. He did not really cut that woman in half. Like, yeah, it looks like he cut the woman in half and then he put it back together. But it's just a trick. It's just a magician's trick. And, and they're like, no, he really cut her in half. It's like, no, like, you, you, you're fucking with me. You know that that's a... You know that that's just a magic act, right? It's the magician's job is to is to is to fool you, and your job is to is to realize it's just a trick, right? And he did not cut that woman in half. That's that's physically impossible. What do you what do you mean it's physically impossible? You just saw it. Yeah, like okay, we all just saw it, but it's it's a trick. It's a magic trick. It's it's a cleverly done illusion. Illusion? What are you crazy? You just saw the, He just cut the woman in half. Like, don't you understand? It's like it's a magic trick. Like. Hey, you're an intelligent person. You, how can you not? Hey, you know you can't cut a person in half and put them back together. You know that. You no, know, we can't. But he—that's what he just did. What the? You know that—that's how I feel when I'm talking to people about television. It's like you know a man can't live for eight minutes and be conscious when he's just lost both of his legs in a bomb. You know, like just look it up. Like doctors will tell you that's impossible. Like your blood—you don't have that much blood in your body, right? And your, your body doesn't just shut down the, the main arteries in your legs because you just lost one in a, in a bomb. That's not how it works. That's why, like, in real explosions, people can bleed out so quickly because, because that's how your body works, right? And this guy lost two, two legs in a bomb and he's still alive eight minutes. Like, you know that's physically impossible. How can you believe that? Well, because it, they, they just showed us. How could they lie about that, you know? And we wonder, how is this possible? Well, the paper that I'm working on, I think... Um, I'm giving you my explanation. It might not be. I might be wrong, and you can help me. If I'm ever wrong about anything, you can help me, but that's what I'm putting together for the benefit uh, of, uh, of my viewers on my website. Let me show you by citing other people who've studied humans, and then let me show you with my own observations what I've come to believe might be the case when it comes to why seemingly intelligent people can fail to recognize that there's a magician's act being done, and it's just an illusion. So I spoke a little about Gustave Le Bon, and I'm trying to encourage you to maybe consider, just read the, just, if you, in fact, the preface, the preface of Crowd Psychology, it's like eight pages long, guys. Just read that. There's more insight in the first eight pages of Gustave Le Bon's Crowd Psychology than there is in hours and hours and hours of the same YouTube conspiratars in their regular nonsense, okay? If you're truly after insight, try and read something, you know, and, and Gustave Le Bon is a good place to start. These YouTube clowns who just say the same shit every week, Waste of time. And uh, and then 9-11, yes. Um, I wasn't as articulate as I could have been. I didn't quite... Um, I don't think I laid out that one as um, as logically as I could have. But that's okay because, like I said, in a couple of days, I'll have a video which will lay it all out nice and logically for you. Some of the connections that I've made, and I think I've gone a little bit further than some others. And again, what I talked about today, only scratching the tip of the iceberg. And that's about it for the topic. So what I'll do is now I'll just read out some uh, comments from the live chat. And then we'll wrap this one up. Let's see. Still a few people watching. Uh, let's see. Let's have a look. Quite a few people in the live chat. Guys, I'm sorry I haven't been reading for the last 30 or 40, 50 minutes. It's difficult enough to do these shows uh, as it is to try and read out the comments while you're working on a topic or whatever. It can be difficult, guys, so please uh, forgive me for that. And you've got to remember, too, especially those of you who are, you know, you watch these Google Hangouts on a regular basis. You've got to remember that most people who are in those Google Hangouts, they're just talking shit. They don't care. They know that nobody's ever going to go back and watch their stuff later. Whereas with me, I'm doing this, I'm broadcasting this live right now, but I'll instantly put it on private and upload it as an MP3, you see. And then maybe upload the video to the, to the website. But in terms of public access, 
just an MP3. This is really a podcast to me. So I'm trying to make it something that'll be listenable to in uh, in a week, in a month, maybe in a year. You know, someone might come along and, and listen to the impromptu chat series from start to finish. And because I use Podbean, I can see the statistics of what people are listening to in the future. And generally, there's a huge drop-off after the first few days. People want to listen to stuff that is immediately, you know, they, how do I put this? Uh, it doesn't matter if, if the content is good. If it's a month old, most people lose interest. However, I've got the statistics available to me on Podbean and Vimeo. I know that people do go back and listen to some of my back catalogs. So I'm trying to make this listenable for people in the future as well, which is why I try and be a little bit more pedantic about getting certain facts in chronological order or trying to get the audio right. I'm not, this isn't, for those of you who just watch these Google Hangouts with these fucking retards sitting on their couch just talking shit, You've got to understand those people don't care. Most of them are morons. They just don't care. Whereas what I'm trying to do is make something that will still be listenable to in the future, which makes it even more difficult to try and read the live chat while I'm going. So please forgive me for not reading at the live chat during the show. I appreciate all of you who are leaving your feedback there. So what I'm trying to do is read out some of the uh, some of the comments. I've just scrolled back a little bit. Quite a few people in there who I've seen before. We've got Cross-Eyed One. Now, Cross-Eyed One uh, has uh, uploaded a lot of videos. They're Australian and they, um, one way or another, they record the news and upload it to their channel. Some of the ridiculous, you know, the, the cultural Marxist agenda, the transgender agenda, this kind of thing. Cross-Eyed One takes a lot of time and effort to upload those videos. I'll try and put a link to their channel in the, uh, in the info box below. Go and check them out. They've only, for some reason, they've only got like 50 or 100 subscribers or something, maybe a couple hundred. They deserve thousands because... People like me, I don't watch the news most of the time. I don't know what they're saying. Sometimes I'll see one of uh, Cross-Eyed One's videos come up in my feed and I'll be like, the news is, like, not only is, it, not only is it worse than I remember, it seems to be getting worse quickly. You know, And that's probably largely to do with me and my own perspective. My perspective is changing more so much than the news. But I do think that like, in an objective way, the news is literally getting worse with its, uh, with its agenda pushing. It's crazy. So people like Cross-Eyed One who take the time to upload that stuff, like just in short clips, it's very beneficial. So huge thanks to you, Cross-Eyed One. Now, uh, let's see who else, who else is there. We've got uh, The Rock Nose in there. Influ Influence Freedom. Now, that's an interesting one. Influence Freedom was a big part of the whole, um, you know, we'll do it live and uh, Jeff C drama that happened uh, during TransAsia. Just give me a second. I'll just adjust this little chair that I'm sitting on. Uh, hold on. One of my legs has gone dead. Here we go. Just fix that up. Ah. Getting older, guys. Uh, bit of dead air there for you. So that's the way. Talk about good production, guys, and I go and do that. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, Influence Freedom. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see them back in the live chat. Very interesting little addition. Says, um, cause viewership is by using Skeptic as it allows wiggle room while not allowing it for others. Look, I haven't read the rest of Influence Freedom's comments, but that might be a criticism of me. Influence Freedom was one of these people who, when the whole flat earth thing took over YouTube, uh, what, a year or two ago now? And I was saying, well, I'm happy to listen to what they have to say. I personally have some objections to the heliocentric model. I've studied the official story. Turns out that if you believe in gravity, you've got to believe that some guy 200 years ago weighed the entire earth in his shed with heavy balls. Like, without even the use of electricity, some guy 200 years ago was able to weigh the entire earth. And, and also, by inference, weigh the moon? A guy 200 years ago in his shed without electricity could weigh the moon, really. I mean, that. look, if people believe that, that's fine. I'm not going to try and change their mind. But me personally, yeah, I don't care if it's uh, if it's a priest or if it's, um, you know, Charles Charles Darwin or, you know, 
I don't care who it is who's telling me these stories. I'm going to use my own senses, and my senses tell me, I don't care who you are. You're not measuring the mass of the entire Earth 200 years ago with heavy balls in your shed, okay? I don't care who you are. I just don't believe that story, right? So I, I personally have some uh, some problems with the heliocentric model. And people like Influence Freedom, they couldn't handle that. They're like, no, you, you can't have problems with the heliocentric model. You've, you've got to believe what they tell us. And I'm like, what, what? hold on. You and I agree that the TV lies was about the things like Boston bombings, right? Yep. And you agree that the government is involved in that lie. Yep. So how come I have to believe what they tell me about where I live? Well, you just have to. Like, if you don't, you're a paid shill. And it's like, see, back then, though, I thought there was hope for these people. Whereas now I realize, no, that's actually, these people are just as dumb as the normies. They just, you know, just because they might agree with me that TV lies sometimes doesn't mean they're any smarter than the average normie. In fact, in many cases, they're actually much, much dumber, which is why they're capable of holding such conflicting opinions at the same time. So maybe that's where Influence Freedom is going with that. She doesn't like my skepticism because she's got no way to handle it, you know. Her, her mind is probably like most people's minds where it's a simple dichotomy of this person's on my side or that person's my enemy. This person agrees with me, that person disagrees with me. It's, it's this simple sort of blue, red, you know, black, white, Democrats, Republicans. It's the way that the, the system seems to want us to be a certain way and seems to condition us to be a certain way. And most people are so dumb, they never break out of that. So for someone like me who says, no, I don't agree with you about the whole spinning ball earth thing. I mean, it's possible, but I just... Now I've I've spent too much time studying the official story. Just I don't I don't believe it. You know I don't believe the flat Earth is correct either. To me, what a bunch of retards those people are. But I just don't believe in the in the heliocentric model. Uh, now, nah. so people like influence freedom, they can't handle it. Their brain cannot compute that. You need to either be on their side or against them. And and flat Earth and and heliocentrism is like this perfect dichotomy. Someone like me, they just can't handle it. And so they're like, oh, so so you're skeptical of both sides. Well. Well, damn your skepticism, you know. Your skepticism is damn, damn it to hell, you know. They, they can't handle it. It's, um, it's very sad, but I guess at the same time it is, it's kind of amusing. It's like, wow, these, these people to me have uh, the thinking capacity of a very poorly trained child, but they're in a human, like, like they're in an adult body. You know, it's like that film uh, with Tom Hanks, you know, the boy who was in the adult body. What was it called? Big? Big? What was it called? Yeah, there's some film with Tom Hanks, like where he's a boy <laughs> in like an adult's body. To me, that's how most of these truths are. It's like they cannot have a discussion without getting angry. They cannot consider a new idea without instantly rejecting it or accepting it. They can't think through their opinions. They can't have a civil discussion. They are very emotional. They base their beliefs on their emotions. And it's like, it's kind of like talking to children in an adult body. Like in, on the one hand, it's sad. But then when you realize it's not your fault, you can't change it. Like I've spent a couple of years trying to help these people think a bit more clearly and I can't help them. It's, it's been a, a very futile attempt, a, a naively optimistic one, but, but ultimately futile in most cases. And it's like, once you get past the sadness of it, it's actually kind of amusing. It's like, wow, these are, <laughs> these are psychological and spiritual children in full grown adult bodies. It's, uh, it's very amusing when you think about it. It's, it's sad, but it's amusing guys. You have to, you, you can either laugh or you can cry, you know, and I'm just, um, you know, I'm choosing to laugh. All right, so let's keep going through these uh, chat comments, shall we? Uh, there will be a little bit of dead air, guys, but I'm sure you can forgive me for that. If you've made it through two hours of the podcast, you probably don't mind uh, a little bit of dead air here. So what else have we got? Uh, let's see. Dana W says, gee, I wish we could have known we could have prevented 9-11 by listening closer to Super Tramp in 1980s. That seems to me like a sarcastic comment. I'm not familiar with Dana W. And... Um, and I'm glad that I read that one, that one out. So let's read that one again. It says, gee, I wish we had known we could have prevented 9-11 by listening closer to Supertramp in 1980. Remember earlier in the podcast, I was talking about how people create a straw man argument. They misrepresent your argument 
so that they can attack it either explicitly or implicitly um, to, to point score or to make themselves feel smart or superior, whatever it is that they're doing. They, uh, they create a straw man. So instead of looking at what you're suggesting or what your argument might be, they intentionally make it the extreme version. They uh, exaggerate your argument or they completely misrepresent it so that they can burn it down. It's a straw man argument. That's what Dana W's done there. I've made it very clear. I'm saying these could all be coincidences, okay? Could all be coincidences. The Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future, fast forward to the walk, the walk based on 1974 walk, at the time crime of the century, the artistic crime of the century was the walk. Same band had the 9-11 symbolism in the artwork. Could all be, this whole loop could be a complete coincidence. To me, it's still interesting. I'm certainly not suggesting that you could use, anyone could have used this information back then to stop 9-11. In fact, I'm saying quite the opposite. That movie was gonna happen. No matter what, you know, no matter what anyone said or did, that movie was going to happen. And only now looking back, is it possible to make some of these connections and say, hey, these are amazing coincidences. Now, some people might go further and say, this, this was no coincidence. There were people who were putting this in our face to mock us or as a form of forewarning, because that's part of their, their occult ritual or whatever, I don't know. P different people can draw different conclusions. I'm simply looking at the coincidences and saying, man, this is a lot of amazing coincidences. You know what I mean? It's like if I'm playing a, a game of poker online and I hit pocket aces and in the very next hand I hit pocket kings, I'm like, man, that's that's a pretty cool coincidence. How, you know, and of course you can make mathematical explanations for that in a game of poker. Whereas with these things like with artwork, it's how do you quantify the odds of these things? You know, it becomes um, becomes a, a very different task and a, a field of inquiry that I find interesting. Now, if someone says to me, I don't find that interesting at all. I'm like, that's cool. You don't have to. You you can find whatever you want interesting. You might find it interesting when, you know, the contestants on the block, you know, they use the wrong paint color and they lose that that um, that week's episode. And now next week they've got no money to spend on their on their on their bedroom. You know what I mean? You might find that interesting. That's perfectly fine. You know, that's we different people find different things interesting. Some people like to sit on their couches and just receive passive information from a TV screen. Other people like to look at the meanings of the lyrics of songs and see if there's some kind of connection there or coincidences. We've all got different interests, but I'm certainly not suggesting, never did suggest, that someone who had noticed these connections could have predicted 9-11 or stopped it. I never claimed that. Never claimed anything like that. And the fact that people like Dana W would suggest that's what, I, that that's what I've claimed, only one of two things can explain that. Either he knows he's misrepresenting my argument, in which case, why would you do that? What do you achieve by misrepresenting somebody else's argument? What's, 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 what's achieved by that? That's if he knows he's doing it, it's actually quite likely that, in fact, he is so retarded that, in his mind, that's what the argument is. He can't actually hear what's being said. He can't actually entertain what's being put to him. In his mind, because he's one of these blue, red people, black, white, Republican, Democrat, dichotomy, trained like the, basically like the base level animal that he is, he actually can't hear what's being said. He's only hearing, it's not even what he wants to hear, it's what someone else wants him to hear. You know, he's only hearing things in extremes. And since what I'm suggesting is, contrary to maybe some of his basic uh, opinions, he's instantly hearing it as this extreme other position, which is then trying to knock down. And again, I know that much of what I'm saying won't make sense to many of you. Uh, my this, this is why I don't do as much work on YouTube now, because it attracts so many people who are utterly moronic. But to those of you, and there are, I know that you guys are out there, to those of you who get what I'm saying, I hope you can see by using the examples of people like Dana W or Influence Freedom or Archimedean I, these are people who might be really intelligent. They might be good at their jobs. They might be successful socially. They, they could have many good things going for them. But when it comes time to think about concepts that are unfamiliar to them, they are genuinely imbeciles. They're imbecilic. They've got no hope. They cannot entertain ideas. They cannot 
entertain new information. They cannot have civil, rational discourse, even within their own mind. That's not what they can do, whether it's nature or nurture. The reality is these people are no smarter than imbeciles. And by using these examples from the live chat, I hope you can see what I'm saying. These people could actually be intelligent in their own life, in their own ways. They could be really good at one thing or really good at another thing. They could be the best. You know, Danny W could be the, the most successful lawyer in his entire city, wherever he lives. He could be really good at something. That does not mean he's going to be good at entertaining new ideas in a different field to his expertise. And again, Gustave Le Bon goes into great detail about this, how someone can be really intelligent at one thing, but they can be completely incapable of critical thought on another area. That's how humans tend to be, especially when you put them in crowds. Now, I'm going to wrap this one up soon, but I'm liking going through the, the live chat. This has been uh, enjoyable so far. Let's see. Uh, Soundly says, saying nonsense in a tone of superiority does not a wise man make, John? So that seems like another criticism. It's amazing how many critics come out of the woodwork, isn't it? They don't actually present any objections to the information that you're saying. They don't point out any logical inconsistencies in the arguments. They just make ad hominem attacks or they make straw man attacks on what you're saying. Rather than dealing with the evidence and the logical form, which is what a sensible, rational, objective adult would do, they devolve or they act like devolved people, uh, just like basic children, either attacking the person or misrepresenting the argument. There's a reason why they're doing that, guys, and it's not because they're paid chills. It's not because they're sent by the government to troll the live chat. It's because they're regular people, and this is what regular people, regular modern humans do. They cannot think through things. They've got to attack the man if the man is saying something that bursts their illusion. They don't want someone who bursts the illusion. They don't want someone who questions the illusion. They want someone who gives them an illusion to believe in because they are ultimately dumb people. That's just a sad reality, guys. I'm sorry. That's just a sad I used to be just as bad as these people, you know what I mean? Back when I was like four or five or something, I was, I was a very dumb, dumb human because I was four or five years old. But then I sort of got better, you know, and people sort of helped me realize that there's ways to think and ways to deal with other people. And it's okay to be wrong and to question your beliefs and to admit that you were wrong sometimes and, and maybe reconsider your beliefs about the world. I was very lucky looking back that uh, I had people who were happy to help me to think. And, uh, and that happened to me when I was still young enough to, I guess, um, take that on board. Whereas once you get to, I guess, 25, 30, 40, especially once you get to 50 or 60, yeah, very unlikely that you'll ever, uh, ever improve your method of thinking. You know, and I think the people who run the show, they know that. You know, that's why they, you've got kids in school now at five and now you see people sending their kids to, to daycare at a younger and younger age. And it's just like, man, these kids have no hope, you know, like it's, uh, it's very sad. Anyway, moving on. Let's see. Uh, Lamp Shadius says it's not possible to blow up 268 stories of buildings, WTC 127 total, without anyone dying or doing it like a normal legit demolition. A few civilian heroes would run in who aren't in on it. So Lamp Shadius seems to be suggesting, so when I say that I don't believe anyone died, Lamp Shadius is saying, no, I think people did die because if you demolish buildings, people have to die. You know, and so let's look at that, that argument, okay? The argument is, People must have died on 9-11 because they were building demolitions. So then the first thing I point out is that there are buildings being demolished all the time. You know, buildings get old or uh, new developers take over. They want to build a newer building. And so they hire professional building demolition experts. So if it's true that when buildings are demolished, that people have to die, is that the case? Like, is there evidence to prove that? Is, is there proof that every time a building is demolished, the people have to die? Now, Dem uh, Liam Shettys might say, oh, but these were no regular buildings. These were... These buildings were too big. That's why people had to die. And I say, okay, that, that might be true. What's your evidence? Have we got other 
hundred story buildings that were demolished where people died, where people had to die? What is the tallest building that, that people have demolished where no one has died? Do we do you have lampshade? Is any of that evidence available at hand? Or is your opinion just a gut feeling, just an emotional feeling? People must have died. They must have died. How come? Like, is, is that what happens in other demolitions? Oh, well, probably, I don't know. You know, what's your evidence for that position? It could be lampshades. It could be a valid position. What's, what's your evidence for this notion that if big buildings come down, people have to die? Do you have any evidence or is it just a gut feeling? You know, that'll be my reply to that. And again, some people might have died. I don't know. I just, when I look at the evidence, you look at the Vixim report. If, if people did die, how come they had to fake so many people? I mean, that Vixim report shows you there were many clearly fake victims on 9-11. If there were real victims, why not just show those photos? How come there's all these obviously fake ones, you know? So yeah, did people die on 9-11? They might have, they might not have. I don't know, but the evidence I've seen, no, I don't think so. And, and to me, it just makes more sense. If I was going to pull off a made-for-TV movie, I wouldn't want anyone to die. Same as if I'm making a real movie. If I'm making a real movie, I don't want any of the people involved to die. That's a whole lot of extra work that I don't want to have to do. If I can just make a movie with no one dying, that's much easier. And I'm pretty sure that's how movies are made. Sometimes there's, like, there's mistakes, like was it Bruce Lee or Bruce Lee's son supposedly died from a like an onset shotgun wound or something? Sometimes people do accidentally die. Like, that's definitely possible. People could have accidentally died in this one. Who, though? I just want some names. Just give me some names of people who accidentally died. And then we can look at the photos. We can look at the backstory. We can see, well, hold on. This person actually does look like it was a real person who really died, you know? And um, I haven't seen a single example of that. So, Lamb Shady, if you can find me a, a name of someone who died and we can look into it, that'd be great. You'd be helping me. You'd be helping the, the people at Clues Forum who put together the Vixim report and um, many people around the world who were like, yeah, maybe someone died. Let's look at the evidence. We're just waiting for the, for the names of the real people and we can look into it, you know? So, yeah, we'll see. Uh, let's see. Dana W says, why do you guys like this have so many subscribers? So I think Dana W is just a regular normie who's accidentally stumbled upon my channel. Dana, if I were you, man, I'd just close this browser and just go back to whatever it is that you do. You know, you're looking at, what is it, XYCD comics, you know, um, reading nihilistic, you know, words from your, from your great leaders like uh, Richard Dawkins about, you know, you're so lucky to be living in a, in a progressive world and you evolved from nothing and... You know, life, uh, life has no inherent meaning and all that regular stuff that you that you've probably fill your life with. That's what I'd go back to if I were you because this channel is probably not going to probably not going to be good for you, dude. That's another thing too, guys. Like a lot of people seem to assume that if they've found the truth, they've got to spread it to others because it's going to help others. And it's like, why is this going to help them? You know, people like Dana W, he, he might actually be uh, quite content with, with his life. You know, he might be quite content with the illusion that government's his friend and that He's so lucky because he's got science and we're heading towards this utopia where there's no such thing as men and women. There's just one fucking gender. And like, he could really believe all that crap. Why do you assume that he's going to be happier when, when he, if, if and when he finally realizes that he's being fooled? He might not be happier. It might send him on a downward spiral, you know? Uh, let's see. Let's have a look. Any other comments that I'd like to read out? Or can we wrap this one up? Nathan Oakley, now Nathan Oakley, uh, the background here, some of you know this, some of you don't. Nathan Oakley is uh, one of the more prominent members of the uh, Flat Earth Retard crowd on YouTube. The thing is, I don't think Nathan Oakley is a Flat Earth Retard. I think he knows full well how many problems there are, not only with the uh, belief system that he promotes, but also with the people who are promoting it. I think he knows all of that full well, but for one reason or another, he chooses to remain part of it. And the thing is, I'm not going to uh, to criticize him for that because 
uh, we all have different motivations in uh, doing what we do and it might be that even if Nathan thinks that these people might be wrong about uh, about their, their conviction that the earth is flat, maybe he just enjoys their company chatting with them on Skype and chatting in Google Hangouts and he feels he has an affinity with them otherwise or maybe he enjoys making the shekels from all of the ads he puts in his videos or what have you. He, he has his motivations for doing what he's doing and uh, he's perfectly entitled to them and I don't know what his motivations are. So even though I do say that he's uh, one of the leading members of the Flat Earth Retard crowd, I don't think he is himself a Flat Earth Retard is the, uh, the background to that. And he says, and for some reason, I've lost it. I had a comment from him that I wanted to read. Oh, now let's scroll back. Uh, let's see. Well, I can't. I don't think I can find it again. But he said he said words to the effect of, if only it was that simple, JLB. And I think he might have been referring to my explanation for why people are, you know, why otherwise intelligent people can be so stupid. He might have been saying it's not that simple. Well, maybe it's not. I'm, I'm going to put together my paper and release it and say, Here's what I believe and here's why. Here's some evidence that I've seen firsthand. Here's some evidence from others. Here's the citations. Here's the references. Here's the logical structure of what I'm presenting to you. You read it, make up your own mind. If you can see some problems with what I've said, tell me. I'll, I'll happily revise what I've done if I'm wrong. And I'm bound to be wrong about many things. I'm bound to be wrong about a lot of things. Such is the, uh, the life of the modern human living in the life system in which we live. We're all going to be deceived about one thing or another, guys, or just be wrong or make logical errors perfectly natural. So if you can help me, if you can say whether I like JLB or I don't like him, whether I agree with his uh, overall worldview or I don't, on this particular issue, here's what he has said. Here is why his evidence might not be right. Or here's why his logical form might not be right. You can actually help me, guys. You can. We can be part of a collaborative effort to arrive at a better understanding of the world. You see, if we put aside the ad hominem nonsense and we don't misrepresent each other, we try to actually understand what each other is saying, we can help one another. So I'll release that paper. And if you can find uh, logical errors or factual inaccuracies, uh, I'll be the first to thank you for it. And I'll be the first to revise the paper. That's how things are meant to be done. But most people can't understand that because most people are retarded. Now, moving on. Jordan, Jordan Rains says, uh, lol, TransAsia was real and has a bit of a laugh about it. Jordan Rains has been here right throughout the, um, the, the TransAsia nonsense and the, the truth movement and the rest of it. In fact, I think Jordan Rains offered to come on and be part of an impromptu chat. So we might have to organize that uh, if not before, the dinosaur uh, documentary, which, by the way, I have to mention this, guys. Winton is like 1,600 kilometers away, so it's going to take me a long time to get there and back. It's going to be like an eight, nine-day trip. So, um, And then when I get back, I'll do a lot of post-production editing and the rest of it, so it's a huge commitment. So hopefully I can chat with Jordan Rains before the trip, but um, if not, certainly after. If you're still up for it, Jordan, I'd love to get your perspective on the so-called truth movement. Let's see. Uh, who else have we got here? Sorry for, I, look, guys, I try and avoid dead air, but when you're reading the, the live chat, it can be difficult to find the comment that you want to read out. I'm not trying to read out every comment, obviously. Uh, let's see. There's a few people who are just posting lots of comments, and uh, none of them are necessarily comments that I can use to bounce off for the purpose of reading this out. Uh, Comedian I says, you're very unwise, John. Again, another example of this. Well, that's, that's a, a, a baseless criticism of me. You haven't actually given a reason as to why you're saying that. It's just an ad hominem attack. It's uh, pointless. It's uh, it's childish, and and maybe that's all you're capable of. Sadly, it's that's just the way it is. Let's see. Uh, oh yeah, Nathan Oakley says that Dana's being triggered. No, that's true. People get triggered so easily. It's uh, it's incredible, really. Uh, let's see. Keep moving through. Yeah, boy, a lot of the same people posting the same nonsense. Dana W says, "I'm out. This is a waste of time." 
This moron is a disinfo agent. Uh-huh. Didn't take long. Didn't take long for him to call me a paid shill. Let's see. Oh, yeah. So I was mocking those um, stupid nihilistic cartoons before. And uh, it looks like Soundly has corrected me. He says, XKCD. But good trial, Abon. So there you go. See, I got the letters of that uh, cartoon series wrong. It's actually... Where was it? XKCD? Yeah, but he knew exactly which cartoon series I was talking about. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Moving on. Uh, let's see. Lamp Shadius says, he never read my other paragraph. I'm one of the only apologists for JLB here, and he threw me under the bus. Well, uh, firstly, guys, in the live chat, I don't need anyone to be my apologist. So um, you should only be posting what you really believe. So if, if you agree with me, then don't call yourself an apologist of me. Uh, just say that your words are your own words, are your own thoughts. I don't need anyone apologizing for me. I can, uh, I can apologize for myself when I'm wrong. What you won't find in this live chat is anyone explaining how or why I'm wrong. You'll see personal attacks. You'll see people getting triggered. But in terms of the actual logical... And I've explained this before, guys. I, you know, I'm going to repeat myself, though. If you haven't been trained in logical thought, in critical thinking, there's a very good chance that you don't actually know it. Bummer, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I'm one of the smartest people I know. It's like, yeah, but okay, what's what's a premise? What? How do premises and conclusions work together? What's a logical fallacy? What? What's an ad hominem attack? What? Uh, what? How many logical fallacies do you know of? How can you identify a logical fallacy? You know, we, what is a sound argument? You know what I mean? What's a valid argument? What do these terms mean? You know what I mean? Can you explain any of this stuff? If you can't, then you probably don't actually understand at a fundamental level what it is to think logically, to put together a logical argument, which means that you are incapable of having a discussion about the logical form of my arguments. So all you're going to be capable of doing is trying to say that I'm wrong, but without explaining how. It means that you're no, you're no use to, to me. If I'm trying to learn the truth, I'm trying to improve my understanding, and you can't help me because you can't even help yourself. Unfortunately, that's what's happening to most people. They graduate from schools. You can graduate from year 12 in, in, uh, in Victoria, which is where I grew up. You can graduate in the top few percent of the state and uh, on the first day of university, not know what a sound argument is. You know what I mean? Not know what a non sequitur is. It's astounding. It's incredible. Until you begin to realize what school's really about, what it's there for, and what it's not there for, then it all makes a lot more sense. So... That's why I have to deal with so many retards because they haven't actually, not only have they not been taught how to think logically, they're not interested in trying to learn either. You know what I mean? Like you can, I've been, I've spent a couple of years now saying to people, listen, guys, I, I'm, I don't uh, pretend to know all of the truth. I'm, I'm just trying to find it, right? But here's a, here's a method of thinking that might help you. It helped me. It's called thinking logically. It's called critical thinking. There's actually a logical form that you can learn to use and you can learn to identify logical fallacies. And it's, this isn't my conception. I didn't come up with this. Someone way before me came up with this and uh, you might find it useful. Here's where you can go and read more about it. You know, I even made three videos about it. I was like, guys, here's some basic logical thinking that might help you. You know, I put lots of time into those videos as well. Like they're, they're multi-track videos. So lots of editing went into them and yeah, hours and hours and hours for each of those individual videos. Did it help anyone learn to think logically? Maybe, but very unlikely. And if it did help people, it was a tiny minority of people who watched it. Most of the people who watched it would be retards who don't know how to think logically and will not spend so much as one minute reading a book or reading text about how to think logically. They just won't. They're not interested. They, they're too dumb. They have been completely retarded by the system. It's uh, very, very sad. So moving on, I think we're almost done here with the live comments. So Jordan Rains says, John, I should have liked to listen to Jenna talk about the Melbourne hoax. Well, 
this uh, podcast will be available uh, probably not tonight. It depends on when it takes to download it. Probably tomorrow on my website in MP3 format. And we spent the first half an hour or so talking about the uh, the Melbourne event. And the basic summation was that Gino knows someone who knows someone, which makes him think it was real. But uh, very interestingly, his mate Adam and they're like their mates in real life. I've had the pleasure of hanging out with both of them in real life and uh, both nice people. His mate Adam, though, doesn't believe that it was real. I don't think he believes it was real. So that'll be that'll be very interesting to be a fly on the wall at their next little catch-up at uh, one of their places down there in Melbourne uh, talking about this event. Was it real? Was it not real? It wouldn't surprise me at all if they got it up on the big screen and the two of them sitting there went through it. Like, yeah, but look at this guy and look at that guy. And uh, yeah, it'd be fascinating. But, uh, but Jenna doesn't think it was uh, fake. He thinks it was real. Uh, Adam, I think, is suspicious it might be uh, might be fake. Me personally, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other. I can see why people think it was fake because some of the footage I saw did look uh, very crisis actory. But then again, you know, I didn't really look at much of the much of the footage, and you know, sometimes video footage can be deceptive, and uh, you know, could be real, could be fake. I don't care. You know, if it was real, then uh, it's very sad for the people involved. If it was fake, then it's very sad for the millions of people who've been deceived by it. But uh, either way, I just don't care. It's not when, when I'm when I'm spending time looking at other things like. Uh, broader ideas of crowd psychology or I'm spending time researching the history of dinosaurs and why people believe what they believe today, reading the scientific papers, taking notes in the scientific papers, you know, and, and dinosaurs sort of tie into this whole idea of evolution and the scientism and, you know, why do kids, how come they're teaching kids about dinosaurs when they're five years old? Well, it turns out that once you convince someone at five years old that a giant beast that they've never seen and will never see is real, it forms a certain bond in their mind, a certain emotional bond to the characters like Ducky and Littlefoot and you know, the T-Rex and the rest of it, that you'll never undo. So you kind of suck them into scientism from a young age. And so th these things are much more important to me. And I think they're much more important to the lie system than, you know, some some event that may have been real, may have been fake. Like even if the Melbourne thing was completely fake, it's like, okay. So there was another fake event. There'll be another one next week, another one the week after that. There'll be a fake bombing at an airport and there'll be another fake shooting. And Who cares, man? It's, it's baby hoax level. I don't care. I just don't care. So, yeah, so I think that is just about it, guys. Um, I finally got through to the uh, to the bottom of the live chat. So I think I'm going to wrap it up here. It's been quite a long show. Thank you for bearing with me. It's uh, it's always easy to forget when you're out of practice to have your drink of water and the rest of it, speaking of which. Good stuff. Yeah, so thank you for your patience. I appreciate that. Next, uh, next live show I do, I'll be back in uh, fine form, I am sure. So uh, anything in the live chat, any final comments, send them through, I'll read them out. But otherwise, let's just recap episode 10, impromptu chat, episode 10. Uh, the Melbourne event, was it real or was it fake? I don't care, but Junior thinks it was real. Uh, let's see, Pizzagate, is that uh, a legitimate uprising of thousands of researchers around the world who are, who've discovered this pedophile ring and uh, they're going to bring down the system by proving that these words in these emails actually mean uh, pedophilia and they've got photos of children with duct tape and they've, you know, is, is that what's happened? Or is this just another red herring distraction all premised on WikiLeaks nonsense, which any smart person should be able to see through? I lean towards the latter perspective on that one. Gino has no op opinion, apparently. Dinosaur news, make another trip out to Winston, another 3,000 kilometer round trip in a couple of weeks. A huge thanks. I want to read these names out again, actually. Let me thank once again, uh, Big Dave. He said, guys, you should have kept going. You should have been able to find a thousand bucks. And we said, Dave, send us a thousand bucks. We'll do it. He said, through 500. Huge thanks to you, Big Dave. And uh, you'll get your name in the credits of the final film. 
I'm very confident this film, when it's finished, will be... Uh, well, I mean, I guess it'll be a big fish in a small pond. No one's actually producing films on this topic, ever. No one's ever done a... Doc as far as I'm aware, I hope I'm wrong about this. No one's ever done a documentary that's genuinely sceptical and uses um, vigorous research to inspect the official story of dinosaurs on the micro and the macro level. So I guess simply by finishing this, I'll uh, have a, a, a documentary that's at the top of its field. But I think it'll be more than that. I think the final piece will be something that Anyone who uh, just enjoys um, enjoys film, enjoys research, enjoys skepticism, uh, enjoys this idea of looking at things from a perspective that some people don't. I think they'll get a lot of out. Uh, pardon me, a lot out of it. And any evidence of that, I say, just go and look at the footage that I put together from the first two days. If I can put that kind of thing together from the first two days, what can I put together from a full trip? So, Big Dave will be the uh, executive producer on the final film, as will Miss Ali. A big thanks to both of them for helping to make this happen. John Shaw, he supported the first trip, actually. He, he jumped on board as a dino skeptic uh, supporter. And uh, and then when the second trip was going ahead, he, ch he chipped in even more. So a big thanks to John Shaw and also to Dante from New York, who also chipped in a little bit of money as well. Those four people, guys, have made this film happen, okay? It would have happened without the mechanical failures uh, beforehand, because like I said, Lucas and myself bankrolled the thing. We weren't gonna bankroll a second one, at least not straight away. But uh, these four people got on board and said, well, we'll bankroll it, we'll make it happen. So these people are proof that even though most people in the so-called truth movement are hopeless losers who'll never do anything, they won't put their own time into research, they won't put their money into help people who do the research. They're basically just you know, the useless eaters of YouTube. There are, however, people who do actually value this and who do care about it, who will help make it happen. These four people, I think, are proof as are a bunch of other people who I want to give a quick shout out to now as well. These are the people who are currently the full members of the website. They're paying their $5 a week and they're getting access to material behind the paywall because they value what I'm doing. And uh, I appreciate the fact that there are people out there who truly value what is going on on johnthebond.com. So to Harry A, to Mezzi, Hando, to Numa, they're in Estonia. To Rebel, to Micah, to Mars, to PJG, uh, to Derek, and to Hank Kimball, a big thanks to all of you for uh, for showing that you care about the work that I'm doing and for supporting it. And of course, like I always say, the you should see my website, the full membership of my website. Um, you should see it as something as just a cost-benefit analysis. Is the content there worth five dollars a week to you? If it is, stay on board. If it's not, jump off. You don't. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I uh, I can work and I can save money, which is exactly what I've done. Itself and able to bankroll uh, this lifestyle for the last few months of um, putting all my time into research and what have you. Because I worked, I saved a, by my standards a lot of money, and I've been bankrolling my uh, my life for the last few months. Once the money runs out, I'll go and do it again and uh, get another job and work the nine till five, or if I can get a job that has more hours, nine till seven, nine till nine, like I was doing last month. I don't care. Work as much as I can, save as much as I can, do it all over again. So uh, I'm not poor, I'm not broke. I don't need people's money. But uh, when people say, "Yep, they value what I'm doing enough to pay five dollars a week." To me, that's fantastic, and uh, to a lot of people, I say, no, it's not worth it's not worth five dollars a week. It's you know, I can get anything I want on YouTube. It's like, yeah, you can uh, have fun with the stuff on YouTube. It's um, yeah. So yeah, so to you guys, uh, I wanted to give a shout out because I think you all deserve it, and that's because of that small group of people, the people who send me nice emails as well. You know who you are, the people who jump on board the website and take part in the comment section there, and of course the people who sign up. It's people like that who remind me that it is worth sharing what I find because this kind of research, I'd be doing it anyway. I find this stuff interesting. The time it takes to put it into content that I'm happy to release, that takes a lot more time. And so these kind of people, they remind me that it's definitely worth it. Even if these people are a small fraction 
of the total audience. So yes, yeah, so we talked about the dinosaur documentary, Gustave Le Bon, guys, uh, 120 pages. It doesn't, it takes me hours to read this stuff because I, I take so many notes, but it doesn't have to take you that long. You could read it in um, in a couple of hours, really. It's it's not a very big book. Gustave Le Bon, Crowd Psychology, many insights in there. I think you'll get something out of it. At the very least, read the first eight pages and uh, stay tuned because on my website, I'll release a paper which um, gives a broad overview of, uh, of Gustave's work and then goes into more detail about my own perspectives on why people are the way they are. So stay tuned for that. And then 9-11, uh, full members of the website, uh, stay tuned because in the next few days I'll be releasing that as well. Uh, I've told you about the tip of the iceberg so far tonight, the uh, Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future, The Walk, uh, Philippe Petit, Crime of the Century, Super Tramp, Breakfast in America, that little loop of coincidences, and they could just be coincidences, guys. Could just be coincidences. Coincidences do happen. Sometimes you get pocket aces and you get pocket kings. That does happen. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the poker company is uh, is rigging the cards. It could be coincidences, guys. Could be. However, if we look deeper into it, uh, there might be other perspectives to take from it as well. So full members of the website, stay tuned for that one. I'm looking forward to releasing that. And then I've also spent some time reading through the live chat comments and uh, being reminded that there's a couple of people in there who are worth... Uh, dealing with, and then there's a few people in there who are just uh, utterly, utterly hopeless. Like the Tom Hanks character in Big, they they got full grown adult bodies, but uh, their minds are, uh, yeah, just beyond hope. So a big thank you to, uh, to Jenna for joining me on the first part of the show. The show wouldn't have happened if it weren't for him. I got a call from him earlier tonight asking me about Melbourne. I said, mate, let's just talk about it live on the air. Some people might get something out of it. So thank you very much, Jenna, down there in Melbourne. He says that the event's real, though, guys. Jenna's saying the event's real when he says that... Um, his heart goes out to the families and, uh, you know, he's uh, he's in this for the truth and uh, you don't want to discredit the truth community by saying it's fake. Otherwise, CNN won't take you seriously, you know. If you want CNN to take you seriously, you've got to say this event was real. Uh, so, uh, so that's that's Gino down there in Melbourne. Very interesting guy. And that is that. So, uh, so yeah, that's it, I think. I'm not very good at wrapping up shows. I've got to, got to learn to wrap them up quicker, haven't I? But, uh, yeah, that's it. So on the 21st of January, 2017, my first live show, for the calendar year, very rusty, but uh, hopefully you got something out of the show. Make sure you check the links in the info box below. I'll link to uh, Cross-Eyed One's channel. I'll link to Gustave Le Bon's paper, which you can read for yourself for free. It's available. It's uh, open access, guys. You can just check it out for yourself. I'll link to uh, any other work that I think might be relevant. And also get along. Check out JohnLeBond.com and take a look at the material from the first Dino Skeptics trip. And remember that in a couple of weeks, I set off on the next one. And I'll do something that no one else in the so-called truth movement ever does, which is actually go out and inspect the evidence for myself, read the scientific papers, show you what's said in the scientific papers, and uh, approach this thing objectively and skeptically. No one else is doing it, guys. So you get the choice. You can stick with the same uh, YouTube truthers who talk about the same shit week after week and just carry on like the clowns they are, which most of them are. Or you can check out some good content from someone who actually takes time to produce good content, which is yours truly. Ah, this guy, he's so arrogant. Oh, I hate this arrogant guy. Fine, don't listen. I don't care. Like, if, if what I'm saying comes across as arrogant, that's uh, that's fair enough. I mean, it, you know, you don't have to listen to me. You can go and get your truth elsewhere, I guess. You can go and get your uh, information, your entertainment elsewhere. It doesn't really make a difference to me at this point. I uh, produce what I produce for people who appreciate it. And for those who don't, I say uh, best of luck in this world, in the liar system. You're going to need every ounce that you can muster. So thank you very much. Impromptu chat number 10. Well, let's wrap this one up. I'm your host, John the Bond, was joined by Gino. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves.